powered from the Perdomo Cigar Studios on the Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studios of Azel, Texas. Welcome to Primetime Special Edition 147. Tonight, we welcome Glenn Loop and Joshua Habarski back from the PCA to Primetime Special Edition as we get an all-things legislative update. And, as always... The Primetime Special Edition show is sponsored by Perdomo Cigars, awarded Nicaraguan Cigar of the Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal. The Perdomo 20th anniversary brand has consistently earned the highest scores in the industry and is a top seller in humidors around the world. The Perdomo 20th anniversary brand requires tobacco has been carefully hand-selected and are well-aged for a minimum of eight years. Perdomo 20th anniversary is offered in three distinct wrappers, a smooth creamy Ecuadorian Connecticut, a rich, earthy Cuban seed Nicaraguan sun-grown, and a dark, oily Cuban seed Nicaraguan Maduro. Combining these beautifully bourbon barrel-aged wrappers with thick, high-priming binder and filler tobaccos gives each blend a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo Scott's a family-owned and operated company headquartered in Miami, Florida, with manufacturing and agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly acclaimed cigar brands include the Perdomo Double H 12-year vintage, Perdomo 20th anniversary, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary, Perdomo Abano Bourbon Barrelage, Perdomo Lot 23, Perdomo Imenso 70, and many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the Perdomo website at www.perdomocigars.com. Of course, we want to mention JRE Tobacco. The authentic Corojo leaf is one of the most robust and flavorful tobacco leaves out there. During the Golden Age of Cigars, Cuba was a leaf of choice to make some of the world's greatest cigars. Because it's one of the most challenging ones to cultivate, it fell out of favor by the 1990s. In the Hamistan Valley in Honduras, Julio Aroa took on the challenge of growing Corojo from the original seeds. And in 2000, he successfully reintroduced authentic Corojo back to the market. With over 50 years' experience in the tobacco business, from growing and curing tobacco to cigar production, the JRE Tobacco Farm has been able to continue to deliver products to market with authentic Corojo. Now with Jerry Tobacco, who knows who sold birth, their very own brand to market, and each contain that authentic Corolla leaf. Aladino is available in a wide variety of blends, including the latest release, the Aladino Limited Edition. And each represent the golden age of cigars from 1947 to 1961. Now available at your local retailer, be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco, a legacy that is tasted in every drawer. And of course, we want to mention Tobacco RSA. Makers of iconic brands such as Monte Cristo, Romeo Julieta, H. Upman, and Aging Room Cigars. Tobacco USA. Great things are happening here. And finally, by Drew Estate. Dark, bold, and unapologetic. Black and Cigars M81 by Drew Estate is an intense journey into the uncharted, deepest, and darkest, and heaviest depths of Maduro tobacco. This is a masterpiece collaboration between Metallica's James Hetfield, Sweet Amber Distilling's Rob Dietrich, and Drew Estate's Jonathan Drew. The All Maduro Black and Scars M81 by Drew Estate is rich and powerful, but beautifully balanced, offering tantalizing notes of leather, chalk, and espresso that's perfect for both life's celebrations and times of reflection. You can find them at your Drew Diplomat retailer. And remember, all the live streaming for the Primetime Network shows, as well as the California studio for the Thursday Primetime show, Sponsored exclusively by Drew Estate. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Primetime Special Edition 147. Uh, today is Tuesday, September 26, 2023. This is Will Cooper. I am in the Perdomo Cigar Studios, and I'm joined cross-country. And, yes, he is there uh, in the probably Lone Star Studios of Azel, Texas, Mr. Bear DePlissy. Bear, how you doing? Just call me perfect timing. 
Dude, you, I know you've been, I know you've been running around and thank you so much uh, for, you know, I know you had a very busy day and you were really cutting it close. Yeah. So, so it's appreciated. Just to let I you know. just sat down. It's perfect time. I mean, seriously, just call me perfect time. Never, never, never late for dinner or whatever the expression goes. No, no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm, I'm excited to be here with you, Coop. Um, you know, this is always, this is always a fun show. This is great. This is a great time and stuff. And it's, it's probably, you know, I, I think we have some great milestone shows. And I think we've had some really great shows over the years and stuff, but it's when we have guests, like uh, we're about to introduce, um, you know, these, you know, these are the most important shows, you know, the, we, yeah. we preach a lot of advocacy. We preach a lot about uh, the betterment of the industry and we kind of get on our high horse sometimes. Well, at least I do. Um, but you know, these, these, these are the shows that matter. Um, not, no disrespect to any of our other guests. We have a great time and we, we spread the word and the love of the, you know, a lot of great folks in this industry, but these shows are very important. So, yeah, but I'm glad to be doing it with you. Oh uh, no, and uh, absolutely, I know we we've uh, we've both talked to these gentlemen uh, several times on on various programs we've done over the years. Um, but I'm I'm especially happy to have them both on tonight. Um, because you know this this has been a long journey. Um, uh, and a major milestone was hit with the court with the court win last last month. So, I mean, um, and we, everyone knows there's a lot more work to do. Right. So I, uh, I know when, uh, Glenn was talking about get, we were trying to get this in, um, I think in August originally, and then it, you know, we had scheduling it, but I think it actually worked out better with the court decision kind of, you know, happening. So we could talk about some of that. Cause I know we have a lot of insights we want to get. So why don't we bring them on bear at this point without further ado? Mm-hmm. All right. We have, uh, we have the duo of Joshua Habarski, Deputy Executive Director of the PCA, and Glenn Loop, the State Advocacy Director of PCA. Glenn, Josh, welcome back to this primetime special edition here. Thank you, guys. We're excited to be here. And I think the one thing that I'm most excited about to you know bring out there on this show, no teaser, no reveal, but the last time we were on the show to the, this time that we're on the show now, the cigar industry, premium cigar industry, and is a better place than we found it when than it was in the, the last show. No question, state, federal, you name it. So I know, I, I think, uh, Bear, you told us that we we were got a B plus the last time. So hopefully we're getting close <laughs> to that A. I was like, you're thinking about putting that grade <laughs> thing in tonight. Actually. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love that you. I love that you kept track. The, like, that's fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I'm honored. I'm. I feel special. This is. Yeah. That's humbling. I mean, it was funny because Glenn and I were talking in the green room before the show, and it was about 13 years ago where we met at Milan Tobacconist, and I happened to recognize Glenn. I was just starting Cigar Coop back then, um, and I happened to meet Glenn, and you know, this was really at the early stages of this whole journey here. Um, and you know, it's been, it's been a roller coaster. Uh, Joshua, you've been on this for a while, but Glenn is, I mean, Glenn goes way back with this. Um, I think Glenn had hair when this happened, right? So, (laughs) (laughs) right. I think I had hair too, right? So, oh shit, man, it's early in the night to go savage. Jesus Christ. (laughs) The elder statesman. He's the elder statesman. He's the elder statesman. But, um, hey guys, look, Jesus, we want to, after I know we took some, Thank you guys. Thank you guys for what you guys have done. It's been a lot of sacrifices. Um, I know you guys don't rest on your laurels, but uh, this was a great effort and uh, your contributions are duly noted. And, you know, 
we we really appreciate it. So thank you guys. And in light of everything Bear said at the beginning, I personally take back everything I've ever said about him. <laughs> I appreciate that, Glenn. No, the no only time, but the night is but the night is young. So let's just I take back everything just, I said to him when I was on his show, like at 1 30 in the morning. You know. Yeah, right before right before your headphones died. It was perfect timing. It was great. <laughs> well, you know, you know, see, this is the trick I have. I take the next day off from work when I do bear show, except I had to fill in a couple weeks ago, so I couldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I usually I usually will like schedule no morning meetings the next day. Um, just so I could I, I actually am trying to get more sleep these days. So uh so uh, I'm glad to do a show, but uh but um you know, but we we have fun doing those shows. So, I mean, it's it's always a good thing with that. Um, hey, gentlemen, before we kind of get into we have a couple of housekeeping things. Uh, first of all, two things. Uh, what are you guys smoking is the first question. I'll go first. I was mentioning earlier because it seems to be the season. I love the month of October. A lot of chatter about the uh the redo of the redos on the Tatuaje Halloween. So I am smoking a Frank redo that was in the bottom of one of my, my bags. So this thing's got, I don't know what a couple years. It was in the green Frank box. Yeah. Behind me back there. I've got all the Halloween boxes. So to help get me in the fall season and in the like, it seemed like the appropriate thing to smoke tonight. Uh, that's a great. And I said, it has, I think I was telling you, they aged really nicely. So I think you're going to be very happy with that cigar. Yeah, they certainly did. Yep. I was really happy with it too. It's, it's stout. I'll tell you that. Yep. And I'm going to go with the uh, Toscano Duincento. Um, probably butchered the pronunciation of that, but you know, so, means, Duincento. Means, yeah, means 200. Um, I am apparently two weeks ago. Uh, on a couple days vacation to Italy, and I will actually be touring the uh, Toscano factory in Luca, um, which I'm very excited to do, meeting with Stefano, their uh, CEO, and uh, seeing their operation there. So um, that's what I will be smoking uh, tonight. Excellent. Actually, uh, it's one of my bucket lists. I've actually had a conversation with Michael about possibly doing that. Um, but I know, I know I'm going to go to Europe next year for inner tobacco and we're, my wife and I are going to go to Austria the week before, not Italy. So it's just a little easier to do Austria. So we'll do Italy next time. All right. So the second piece of housekeeping bit, uh, is we got to decide what bear is going to smoke tonight. So, uh, before bear, I'm smoking an Opus X double Robusto, and then I'm going to have an Alec Bradley double Barley Grand Corona. I know Glenn, who has led the Occupy Casa Fuente movement for years. I'm smoking that in honor. And I know, Josh, you know, you've done some good stuff with the Rubens uh, over the years. So I, I picked that one. But Bear, I'm going to turn it over to you. What, what, uh, Who's going to pick your cigar and what are the choices? Really quickly, uh, Josh, Glenn, pick, pick a number between 1 and 10. 7. 3. Glenn got it right on the nails. Three. So Glenn's picking my cigar tonight. Here we go. I got four choices for you, sir. I have the a Quesada Oktoberfest, the 2023 edition. I have the Grand Habano 20th anniversary, Robusto. I have the 
AJ Fernandez, New World El Dorado, or uh, Dorado, excuse me, El Dorado, Dorado, Corona, and then I have the Espinosa, Laranja, Toro. Mm. Oh, that's a tough choice. I narrowed it immediately down to the Gran Habano because George Rico is one of the funniest human beings I've ever met. And Espinoza. So since, you know, it's been a long time since I've shared some love with, with George, I'll go with the Gran Habano. Sounds fantastic. There you go. This is the El Sueño size, the 5 by 52 Thank you. Thank you, Glenn. I appreciate it. I'm, in, I'm excited to light up with you gentlemen tonight. Thank you. I am too. So it's always an honor to, uh, to, um, to get into this right now uh, with these guys. So, uh, you know, what's good. I like when we have good stuff to start off with. And I think there's a lot, like a lot of positives uh, we have um, with, with tonight, especially. So um, let's kind of we'll start. see it. We'll see about that. Well, okay, <laughs> maybe one second, but okay. No, I think it's mostly positive. Uh, yeah, I, I, so I think it's, I think it is. I think it is. Um, you know, uh, a big win in the courts right now. Um, Barry, I know you had some questions right off the bat on what the key to victory is. So I'm going to turn that part right over to you right now. Yeah, I, I just think you know. I, think, I mean, I think the question that I've, I think I've always wanted to ask you, gentlemen, and you can split up the answer or whatever, but. Um, as I've commented to both of you guys, both on the show and privately as well, like I, I've really been, I've really admired the way that Judge Meta has has approached these decisions. You know, he's he's been fair, he's been consistent. I mean, he's 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 given our industry a fighting chance um, in a lot of ways, but he's been fair, and that's all I've ever that's all I've ever wanted. Um, but I'm just asking both y'all's opinion. Why do you think that is? Why do you think he is so favorable to our industry's position in these cases that we've been talking about for years now? I think it comes down to the the fact that you know the industry had the information, had the facts on on our side. You know, from the beginning, the industry invested in the research, did the research, has a wealth of information moving forward. Um, and that the judge saw that consistently. It was presented, um, you know, by our litigation team in a way that um, resonated. It was, you know, rooted in 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 law. And I think that, um, you know, moving forward, we have, you know, it, it's this was just part three. You know, it was the you know f- finale of the uh, trilogy, so to speak, of the uh, of the um, court cases but um, really built off of one another. And, and the fact is now we have, you know, three wins against the Food and Drug Administration. Um, and, and that's something that we can utilize to our advantage moving forward. So. I, I got to interrupt here. Phillies just scored three to two. It looks like if we hold on, we'll go into the playoffs. Congrats, Kurt. Okay, continue. I'm sorry. So all these things about this being an important show. And uh, it's, fine. Uh, it's, fine. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's go ahead. I'm sorry. My <laughs> team's in last place, but fuck yeah. you. Keep going. Let's go. Let's go. Up. No, um, so, so to that point, Josh, though, sincerely, um, you know, you talk about the facts being on our side. Um, I mean, one, you know, from an outside perspective, I think, you know, you know the, the the terrible the terrible reputation that uh, some of our colleagues in other parts of tobacco industry and and everything like that, notwithstanding, I think that 
uh, I think from an outside perspective, I think that people probably would have argued against that. Uh, again, how do you, again, just to go, go back to it, and Glenn, you can chime in here too. How do you think, why do you think he was able to cast some of those aspersions and, and previous, previous conceived notions aside? I mean, that's what the law says. I mean, justice is blind, right? The, the idealist in me is talking now, but how do you, why do you think he was able to push those, those outside voices aside and be able to look at, as you pointed out, the facts in this case? I think the facts are all that matter. And when you're in court, the only thing that matters is the facts. And the bottom line is, and I was just thinking about this as you were posing the question to, to Josh, is I would sum it up as we followed the rules. <clears throat> when okay. the FDA asked for selective information, we provided it. And then they denied that they, we had provided it. And it was line and verse in the judge's opinions where he said, you're telling me FDA that you didn't receive X, Y, and Z input from the industry. Yet here it is. And, you know, during the regulatory process, well before the litigation process, we had lawyers working on that too, making sure that we played by the rules, that we submitted all the necessary information, that we contracted for the necessary analysis of the industry itself, that we amassed independent research that had not been done for us, but, but, but had been done about us. And all of that was submitted through the hundreds, I've got it behind me, show and tell time, the hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of pages of public health, demographic, usage, sales, distribution channel, seed to market analysis of ourselves. And you put all that together, it matched line for line for what was solicited from the industry and the public as a whole between 2014 and 2016. And the judge recognized, it wasn't because of any you know, sympathy on his part, his job is to look at the record. And the record made it clear we did our part as an industry. And he simply recognized that in the face of their denials that we had submitted the volumes of, of information that they had solicited. So it's, it's, a, it's about the rules and it's about the facts. And that's the reason we won. Well, and this is a really great point that this is brought up because I remember when this happened, when the comments were submitted and they were dismissed and they were just like, and I, and I think a lot of people that I know maybe lost a lot of faith in our system. Right? I mean, I gotta be honest with you. They're like, why am I doing these comments? They were just completely discarded. And I thought in a way this was vindication for that. Like it did show that, that this mattered, that you can't, that you, you know, you, you have to follow the rules and, and they, and they didn't. Um, but was this a key part? I mean, and again, you may not be able. Was this a very key part of the strategy to kind of show that the judge that um, that this was going on? That's that might be a little bit of a stretch. Okay, but it was something. Was it something that you guys were maybe cognizant of? Like, 
wow, like all these comments just like discarded, like like ignored um, when it was asked for. I mean, it just seemed like I don't know because like, I guess the 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 glass half empty guy in me was like, oh, I guess that's just the way it works. You know, that was kind of how I was thinking. Uh, and maybe I was I was somewhat surprised when this kind of surfaced in the end decisions. What I'm saying. Yeah, you know, I think sometimes the comment process, it feels like a black hole. Like yeah. submitting it into the ether. I, I I did my master's thesis on e-regulations and, and submitting online public comments. Right. Real exciting document. If you ever have insomnia, you might want to read my my master's thesis on that. But it um, you know, it is important. And I think that moving forward. Um, and having participated in this in the last five years, we are commenting as an organization and facilitate, facilitating comments for other connected entities to the premium cigar sector. Um, just on uh, just about everything. If HHS is doing something, if there's a non-binding thing that relates to retail, um, we're submitting com comments. We're working on some of them in-house, working others with our regulatory lawyers and, and almost planting these seeds in case FDA comes back around or in case they want to do something else draconian that, you know, eventually we're, we're, you know, plant the seed, let them grow for a number of years and anticipating future potential legal challenges. You know, there's a playbook that's in front of us from the past um, several years, the, the past precedent from the three lawsuit wins that is really important for this industry moving forward. We need to make sure that we're responding across the board to all of these pleas. And, um, you know, having the facts and information on our side is important. And I, I'll give one example. In the last lawsuit on the overall deeming regulation, the FDA painted this picture of, you know, if this is completely vacated, you're going to have people under the age of 21 purchasing, uh, you know, cigars all the time. They're going to go out and, and be able to do this. Well, we went ahead and did the research and got and found out that there's 38 state laws that have tobacco 21 in place already. And nearly every state in the union has at least uh, 18 or 19. And they had in the state legislatures another dozen bills that were pending. So that was something Congress passed that, you know, the states were updating their laws to reflect. And, um, you know, there's precedent. So everything has to be tied to congressional intent. But what you're seeing with the FDA right now is they're just going ahead and promulgating regulations that aren't rooted in law. It's rooted in um, kind of the feel good aspirations of, you know, so-called protecting public health. Well, yeah, you can protect public health, but you need to follow the Tobacco Control Act. You need to follow the Administrative Procedures Act. There is a process. And oh, yeah, Congress has weighed in all, on a lot of these things. The um, back to that, you know, do you also think how can I put this? And I'm kind of going to I want to make sure I word this correctly. Was this, I've heard a lot of people say the judge kind of understood the cigar. Like 
I've heard people make this claim. You can tell me if I'm wrong. The judge really understood that, you know, about premium cigars and um, he understood our, our culture and our nature. Was it really that or was this more of an a, a administrative faux pas by the FDA is my question. I, I think the latter. I mean, I, I mean it's I, an honest I, answer. It's an honest answer. Yeah. I, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, I think everyone in this art industry is a fan of judgment after the rulings as the result of it. But if you look at um, kind of the second part of the, the trilogy, um, you know, or the Empire Strikes Back, so to speak, for, for folks in the Star Wars realm. Yeah. Um, oh, here we go. The, uh, you know, you had the appellate court, three different judges decide in our favor. So it it, it is, um, you know, an area where uh, the industry, not only with Judge Meta, yes, Judge Meta in, in, in the three cases, but there was another panel of judges that ruled in favor of, of, the, in, of the industry. So um, I think the law was truly on their side. The FDA has created a monstrosity um, based off of regulatory process. We're dealing with the Reagan Udall Foundation and some independent um, analysts looking at how FDA um, promulgates regulations, how they go about, you know, with the public input process or the comment process, and they are failing on on many different metrics, not just, you know, being called out by organizations such as PCA, uh, but others within the health community. If, I mean, if you go and you were having, uh, you know, one of the anti-tobacco groups on um, your show, there, they wouldn't agree with us on the merits of a lot of what we were what we're saying, but they would agree in part that the FDA is going about the process in an unfair way, um, and and there's a lot of um, structural problems that they need to overcome and address. And you know, it's our job to you know ensure that they bring about those changes in the appropriate way that's conducive and, and follows the law. And it gives us a fair shot to tell our story and, uh, you know, protect our, our members. I agree the latter. I agree that it was the latter. It, it, it goes back to the first answer I gave. It was about the record. It was about the administrative record that the industry built up with the agency. And the judge, could, he couldn't arbitrarily on his own, not to use that term, but say I'm sympathetic or I understand the industry. What he understood was the administrative record that had been built up over the course of over two years. And there was a denial by the agency that we had done X, Y, and Z. And he, not us, he looked at the administrative record and said, yes, they did. And here's the dates that they did it. And the door was completely left open when the concept of exempting premium cigars was made possible, even at all, as a possibility when the deeming rule came out and the final rule came out. By just having that door open, it said there's doubt there. And that doubt is these products are different. And I've said this a hundred times. When you read the original deeming rule that I've got a copy of right behind me here, 
there was great pains taken by the FDA to equate a premium handmade cigar with a pack of cigarettes. And I'm not being dramatic when I say that. That's what they tried to do. They wanted a one-size-fits-all administrative regulatory approach. And when the door was left open to say these are different and maybe we should exempt, boom, different playbook. So as far as um, we're going forward, um, I guess there's another we're going to notice soon. Do we have any sense that this will be appealed? There's been no indications of that so far. Um, you know, it's I think based off of the holidays, the official October 10th, October 11th would be the the dates of the 60 day period. Yeah. Uh, but there, you know, I, I, I spoke with our attorneys this week and, you know, there hasn't been any indication of it. I think that, you know, the some of the manufacturers have received letters about user fees already. Um and um, that indication of, of that the FDA has accepted that at least for quarter four, um, manufacturers won't have to or will get rebates for the user fees. That's what their letter ha has indicated. So um, they're accepting that they've, they've lost in part, um, you know, it, it, by that indication. Now, it wouldn't surprise me if they, you know, do about face recognizing how they are following kind of this messed up playbook from the beginning um it's but it would be very challenging it's an uphill battle for them having yeah. lost every step of the way and like in this last you know lawsuit it was a complete loss on their their side you can say in some of the other ones the 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 arguments we won in part, lost in part, however, however you phrase it. But this last one, um, it doesn't get much better than, you know, the, the vacating decision. Yeah, I mean, this was a this was a total win. Um, and uh, I mean, I think it, you guys could say that there probably couldn't have been a better outcome than this. How the decision went. Yeah, I, I mean, everyone's very, very pleased with it. Um, you know, I, I remember being in the courtroom and, you know, no, no one no one really believed in it. I mean, other than a, a handful of folks, it was like, yeah, you know, we're, we're kind of doing this this uh, third case for oral arguments. And it was, you know, My Michael Edney and <laughs> Rocky Patel was there. Greg Zimmerman was there. Um, Ryan Parada, myself. Um, and I, 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 I think that was David Osgood. I think it was his from uh, CAA. It was one of his first days on the job, but there were very few people in some of the previous ones, you would have 20, 30 industry people there. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the oral arguments for that. And, and I, I'm not saying that, you know, everybody needs to come and, and uh, be in the courtroom. I know people are, are not all based in DC and, and stuff like that, but um, you know, being on the calls, listening to some of the other counsel for the other organizations out there, there was kind of a bleak outlook in the beginning for this. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's funny now everyone's like, yes, you know, <laughs> and, and that's sometimes it's a jockeying for claiming victory and, and, and kind of having almost a, a revisionist history of things. But I can tell you in the beginning, um, you know, Rocky Patel, um, the CRA 
board members, the, the, the PCA board members um, were, were resolute in supporting this, and as well as some of the, the, the um, you know, folks that, that we work with uh, across the board. So, um, you know, it's a, a, a shining moment for all three associations and everyone was, you know, involved in the beginning. And, uh, you know, in this last stage, we all get to share in this victory. So Josh, I want to go back to a second real quick. So just for the layman's understanding, like when you say it would, if, first of all, that's great news that you, there, you haven't received any indication that there would be an appeal and process, but you said there would be a very uphill battle for them considering the, I, I don't want to mischaracterize your words, but I'm going to use the word staggering loss in this, yeah. in this last, in this last case. Why, why is that? Why would that be such an uphill battle for the FDA if they chose to appeal this decision? Let me preface the caveat. I am not a lawyer. Uh, neither is Glenn. We don't, we, neither of us claim to be, but I, I think, um, you know, you look at smarter than me. So that's what I'm saying. Explain it to we, me. We, we look at the, the record, um, you know, they would have to, the, in the appeal, they would have to not only, you know, challenge the legal arguments, but challenge the judge's decision based off of those legal arguments. Um, you know, a, a federal judge has already said that they were wrong in law and in numerous different ways too. That's why I say it's an, an uphill, it would be an uphill battle. Okay. The, the other, the other piece that I wanted to ask here, Coop, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, go ahead. Um, what's the, I guess, Coop, I want to step on your question here. No, go ahead. The, no you're not stepping, the, go ahead. What's the biggest concern coming out of the court decision? If this is, I mean, again, staggering decision when I'm not trying to be a negative Nancy at all, but, you know, big is relative speaking. The biggest concern may be a very small concern, but like, what is the biggest concern coming out of the court decision? There's a couple of ways to answer that. Um, I think one is that, you know, there's, we, we have the definition and it doesn't include everything that our members as PCA carry. It doesn't include all of the products. Um, you know, it, we, we as PCA and CRA made a concerted effort to come up with a definition of premium cigars or support what Judge Maida had um, and endorse that. Um, so, you know, as a strategic decision, that made sense. Um, clearly, it was successful. It created an off-ramp for most of what's in uh, our members' humidors. But some of the regulations that the FDA is working on um, would not uh, would would affect the industry. It would affect premium cigar manufacturers, premium cigar retailers, even with this relief. And I'll give you an example: the tobacco manufacturing practices. Uh, that rule, uh, the comment period closes October 6th. That's something that the FDA is considering. And that applies to bulk tobacco products. So if you're processing tobacco products and you don't follow these standards um, or have a mixed use factory where you're producing some premium cigars and some other cigars that wouldn't be meeting the judge's decision, um, 
invariably that those companies would have to comply with this regulation. And this regulation is very problematic. It's based off of food and pharmaceutical regulations. It has, you know, sanitation, ventilation requirements for overseas companies, you know, in rural Honduras, Nicaragua, Dominican Republic, a lot of enforcement questions. We've already, you know, three steps of the way raised concerns about it. Um, so future regulations that apply to things that are important to our members. Um, the second thing is, is apathy. Um, you know, this is a big win. Everybody knows that this is a big win. Um, I think that Glenn and I, in all of the brief that we've done, trainings that we've done, shows that we've done, we want to emphasize this is not the end-all be-all. We still have to be involved. We have to activate and we can't rest on our laurels. This, the FDA can come back around and try to re-regulate premium cigars in the future. And I think that's why uh, if you look at everything that the FDA or HHS or you know even the Biden administration relate release something on uh, anti-smoking related to the cancer moonshot initiative, PCA has been commenting on all of those activities. Um, again, planting those seeds for future challenges. Josh, quick question, just on offshoot of this. Because I got asked this a couple of times, and I'm ashamed to say I don't know the answer to this. What's the situation with pipe tobacco with all this? So we're going to be releasing a guide on, on pipe tobacco. It, uh -huh. They haven't really addressed it. It wasn't included in the lawsuits. So, you know, invariably. So this is where practice and what the documents say, there's a, a, a little bit of a disconnect because, you know, Pipe tobacco is not on the radar or enforcement priorities of, of FDA in, in most sense. I have heard feedback from members that they recently had an issue where inspectors had called into question unauthorized, not receiving marketing authorization, pipe tobacco. So really pipe tobacco, it's a flavored product. Um, you know, it would have to comply with FDA regulations. So we're, we're going to put out to, uh, a guide. We have a, a new legal intern who's in law school that uh, worked at, um, uh, you know, a, a cigar shop and uh, was our trader this year. And we tasked him with, you know, putting together this resource for members about pipe tobacco specifically, because we had some of the similar questions where, you know, what does it really say? And, and what it really says, it, and I'll be very candid, is it's it's not very good for, for pipe tobacco right now, the, the current status quo um, with, without any further challenges um, if, if we don't do that more, because that, that wasn't something that was included in this round of relief. Glenn, I want to loop you in here, no pun intended, but like to Josh, to, 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 that was really good, by the way. That was Josh's, good. Josh, Josh's first point about how some of the concerns coming out of the decision and what he was just saying about pipe tobacco, is this just another way that we're seeing without saying it out loud that the FDA is trying to disrupt disrupt the industry and disrupt the business of the industry? Oh, I think disrupt the industry is the optimal term. Yep. Um, I'll never forget, we had an industry meeting in Miami, 
and I'm not saying anything out of out of school here that I wouldn't say publicly or or in an FDA briefing. I'll never forget we had a regulatory attorney with a, a one of the firms that was advising us on the dreaming rule process and, and the final rule process. So this was well before the litigation began. And I'll never forget what he said to the industry. He said the difference between you and everything else the FDA regulates, medical supplies, medical instrumentation, pharmaceuticals, food supply. He said the difference between you and everything else is that, that they regulate is that they genuinely don't like you. <laughs> and those were his exact words. They genuinely don't like you. And you know, we have not been bashful. I've not been bashful. None of us have been bashful at saying there is a prohibitionist mentality in that section of the Food and Drug Administration. It's nothing short of a prohibitionist mentality. You know, the idea of, of manufacturing standards isn't just to elevate some standard for the for the factories and the like. It's to make it ever more challenging to make the products or to drive up the costs such that it eliminates pieces of the market. And what happens when you get to that side of the equation? Well, I'll refer back to an, a, a meeting that took, this was well before Josh was on board. We had a meeting at the White House Office of Management and Budget. And one of the staff members shut the door after our, our briefing, and he said, listen, we know that if we do these rules as written, there's not going to be one, and this was his words, there's not going to be one less cigar smoked in America. It's just going to be the bigger, more flush companies that can afford to make them. So they try to shrink the market so that it is like the cigarette industry where there's three companies making all the cigars. So they're the only three that can afford to be regulated. And I'm making that number up. But so basically just made made up the fact made like admitted to the fact that they were they were trying to uh, limit competition and put people out of business. Shrink the market. But there's not going to be any fewer cigars smoked in America. If you drive up the cost of production, it's just those that can afford to be regulated are making them. And the beautiful part, as you guys know, the beautiful part about this industry is it is full of entrepreneurs. It is full of small businesses. It is full of family-owned small businesses, not multinational conglomerates. And we've got our share of those, and that's all well good, and the whole industry complements each other. But when push comes to shove in a political context, in a regulatory context, they'd much rather deal with, you know, like cigarettes, deal with the big three than with the big 165. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah absolutely. Totally. Totally. They want to deal with one person as opposed to like, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And that's what we should do. We should we should make the regulatory body a lot easier and, and, to do that. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I, I've seen that, I guess, with some of my, my day job stuff in, in some of the businesses that have other agencies that regulate them. And they've talked about they, these agencies want to, they don't want to deal with a hundred companies. Yeah. Because yeah. it would be, because it would be hard 
It's, is it that is it that trivial and tedious? Oh God, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's Jesus. it's easier to sway one person as opposed to swaying a hundred, right? That would be my theory on that. Well, they haven't tangled with you know me, but that's fine. That's sure. all right. I mean, no, I know, I know they haven't. <laughs> I know they haven't. Oh no, no, they uh, um, user fees. I know you guys talked about user fees. Now, this is. What I understand is there's a lot of cigars that may not be eligible for refunds on the user fees, given the definition of a premium, what the judge said is a premium cigar, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, the and this is a tricky area and I, I yeah. don't want, you know, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves on, on the okay. stuff. Mm-hmm. The, I would reference and you know, I know that some of the outlets uh, have commented about the letters that went out. Um, that's from the FDA. That's there. What PCA and and we right. are we are telling folks now, you know, consult your lawyers uh, mm-hmm. yep. about about this. Um, there's going to be some general guidance that will come out from our organization um, after the um, deadline uh, for appeal. Um, so expect that. Um, you know, the, the big question mark, and, and I'm going to leave it at, as a question mark about past user fees, um, because that's really where some some of the, the unanswered uh, areas lie. And, and I think that a lot of discussions are about that, but nothing's going to be said on that. I, I can't say anything. Understood. Can't understood. Say anything, yeah, understood. Uh, until after the appeal period. Understood. Understood. <clears throat> um. And then how, in terms of the definition of a premium cigar that the judge gave, is PCA pretty happy with, I mean, this is something, I know the definition of a premium cigar is something that's been talked about for, for 15 years. Like the judges put something in there now in a, in a legal decision. Is, is this something the PCA and everyone's satisfied with at this point, that definition? I, I think it served its purpose, you mm-hmm. know, in getting the relief, the, the best possible relief, um, you know, the, the most products included based off of that definition. Um, now, as it relates to things that are not included, you know, PCA, we are fighting uh, the prohibition or the characterizing flavor ban um, for flavored cigars. Right. Haven't demonstrated, um, you know, the FDA hasn't demonstrated that youth or, um, you know, minority communities were targeted, that, you know, which they were saying, you know, we've released it, you know, some of the most hard hitting pieces fighting that. Um, so, you know, I will say that uh, the definition and, um, you know, the court decisions have given us a playbook to, to move forward. Um, you know, I think that there's going to be other avenues of relief and relief from future regulations. Um for you know products that aren't con- are considered you know youth access is the main mandate of the tobacco control act um so you know if there's not a if the fda fda can't demonstrate uh a need to prevent youth access um for a lot of these regulations and that's the underpinning that's their stated purpose for it um you know, they're not, they're not going to be able to do that. There's going to be future challenges to that. Um, you know, look, we just talked about pipe tobacco. We, we would love to have relief for pipe tobacco. Mm-hmm. We would lo- love to have relief. And we don't really know the scope of the characterizing flavor ban too. Um, so, you know, there's a few things that are out there upcoming that 
I can't, I can answer the question in the present time. Right. You know, when, when all the court decisions were happening, um, when we were doing a lot of the legislative stuff and the regulatory stuff and all the outreach, we got a definition um, and we're, we're happy with the relief that it brought to our members. Now, if, again, I talk about, we don't want apathy, that apathy, we don't want to have in our organization. Also, we're going to go out there and get more relief for our members in other areas. And it might not be the same strategy. It might not be for things that don't meet that um, definition um, 100%. Got it. You've mentioned apathy a couple of times today, Josh. Like, what like, could you could you articulate that a little bit? Like, I mean, do, I, I think there was a little bit here, and here's what I mean by that. I think there was a little bit of and and and, and well deserved, you know. Mm-hmm. I think there was a little bit of a hangover last year with the decision and everything. I don't think anything got biased, thank God. But I think there was kind of this like this this little bit of a hangover, this, this zealousness that just kind of sense of relief but there was still a lot of work to be done and and, and, y- and y'all i mean again nothing got bad i think you know the decisions subsequently you know were obviously successful as well so um but can you articulate what you mean by apathy like what could be the worst what could be the worst form of this that we could see and and more prevent let's let's talk about it let's bring it to the surface i think we we need to have constant engagement and um you know that's the one thing that's worrisome like you know glenn's doing a phenomenal job building state associations uh, but at the end of the day, a lot of the state associations, it's really two or three retailers that are carrying the weight, carrying the financial burden. Um, it's on a positive note, you're seeing some of the new retailers that open up cigar lounges, cigar shops, cigar bars want to be engaged. You're getting some of that um, new blood in there, which is a, is a good sign. And hopefully, you know, if we can get from two to three to six or seven, that gives us a bit of a political force. Um, you know, we have the Congressional Cigar Caucus and, and we'll engage through a series of events here in Washington with them, um, you know, during the height of the, you know, two, 2018, 2019 realm, um, we were seeing from the DC retailer and manufacturer almost monthly. That was a steady drumbeat. I like that pace, no matter, you know, and, and there's really scary regulations that are still out there um, that if it were to apply to these companies, and it very well could apply, like I mentioned, bulk tobacco, that involves everybody. That, that you know, even if you're making you know, premium cigars that applies to the actual tobacco, you know, uh, bulk product that is then, you know, processed. Um, so, you know, getting a steady drumbeat from, from people and engaging here in Washington and here in the state capitals is going to be necessary moving forward. And we're, we're not, we're not seeing it. And I think it's a little bit of a malaise after a big win, um, you know, we don't want to see people, you know, rest on their laurels. Yep. So, so Glenn, why, what do you think is the biggest reason, as you mentioned, you're doing a great job of organizing these state associations, but what do you think is the biggest reason for such, and this isn't a, uh, this is a broad statement because he he'd said it, but like, I'm sure there's stronger ones than others, but why do you think there's such a, a low participation rate where you're, you're having two or three 
participants as opposed to that six or seven or or 10 or 12 or more or whatever? Well, this is sort of a psychological assessment of who we are. And I don't mind saying this publicly, but I think it can be summed up as saying we're, we're too comfortable. Yeah. Um, there's, we've been, we've been threatened. Let me put it to you this way. We've been threatened, but we truly haven't felt pain. And when you feel real pain that trickles down to the cigar shop, that's the wake up call. Well, that pain has yeah. a real, I mean, I mean, real pain, real regulatory pain, the type of pain that does, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I'll give you an example. The Small Business Administration Office of Advocacy, their original letter, this is the benefit of getting old. You, you get to remember history. <laughs> the original letter that's also in this mound of paper behind me from the Small Business Administration Office of Advocacy said, and we didn't tell them to say it, they did their own assessment. They said in that letter to the FDA, now this is one federal agency to another, by the way, said, and I quote, if you regulate in the fashion you have prescribed, you will wipe out 50% of this industry. So that being said, a couple years later, I was had a meeting in Oregon with the staff of their, one of their United States senators in a cigar shop. And it was Broadway Cigar. And we took the senator's staff along with about six or seven Oregon retailers into the humidor. So we're all standing in a big giant prayer circle in the humidor. And I physically, I physically went around that humidor and I said, that company can't afford to be regulated. That company can't afford to be regulated. That company can't afford to be regulated. Then I posed this question to the retailers in front of the senator's staff. What happens if 50% of this humidor doesn't exist because those companies I just reeled off could not afford to be regulated? And they all said it in unison. We're out of business. We're out of business. That level of pain has not transpired but the threat was certainly there and it was bloody well realistic but in terms of real pain on cost of product real pain on production real pain on distribution real pain on the availability of new blends and new cigars to satisfy the consumer you need those types of wake-up calls to galvanize the masses in a way that takes it to another level. But we cannot forget the threat because the threat is real. I mean, I, I get a text message from, from Carlita once a month saying, more people need to be engaged. More people need to be galvanized. We can't rest on our laurels just because we won. What are we doing now? <clears throat> type of mentality has to be ingrained in, into every manufacturer and every retailer and frankly every consumer in America. 
because the threat's not going away. And and to that point, I think, you know, what does the future look like? And, you know, we're, we want to empower people, get more people involved. We're going to be announcing some major initiatives in October, um, one of which is similar to a grant program for state associations. Um, it We see a, a, a ripple effect you know, whether it's state policy moving upward nationally or international policy moving federally into the states. Um, So we want to, you know, provide reinforcement to our state associations. Um, You know, that's why PCA brought in a high caliber professional like Glenn Loop to to lead the charge there. And um, not only that, He's setting up new ones, reinvigorating ones, but we're going to provide direct financial resources to these state associations um, in a in a grant like format. Um, so that's something that we'll be announcing uh, very shortly. And then on our end, and this might be a topic, and one I don't want to get ahead of myself. One of your segments, uh, but we have some self regulation initiatives. Oh, wow that are gonna be announced in in October. Again, we're being very cognizant of that deadline um, related to the appeal period, but we have some stuff locked and loaded, ready to go. Yeah, I was was gonna ask you about that, Josh. If you wanna wanna expand on that now, uh, that's totally fine. Uh, Because I I liked some of the things you guys were, were coming up with with that. You know, I know the one that really I think was important was the communication you guys sent out on uh, trademark and trade dress, and you pointed to the Jack Daniels case. And to me, if that wasn't a wake up for people to look at things, uh, if a company, like I said, you know, Jack Daniels kind of protected themselves here, you know, I, I think it was a great, I think it was a great, and it, like how you guys communicated that was very good. Thank you. I, and, yeah. and there's going to be more of that. I mean, if you look at the, um, recent NIH grants and the uh, surveillance programs that uh, Rutgers University is doing in conjunction with FDA, they are looking at marketing, they are looking at branding, they are looking at things like that. Um, So yes, part of self-regulation, one of the other announcements that, you know, the organization is going to make, it it involves uh, marketing, trademark, trade dress, and, um, you know, it's it's something that's consistent with anything that we released in the past. Um, it's just kind of an, another thing um, that we want to make sure retail member members and our associate ma- manufacturers are aware of um, the FDA just forget it if it was yesterday or today, they updated their uh, tobacco violations notices. And one of them is marketing. Um, that's somebody, Joe Schmo can go and submit a um, violation for uh, a marketing and describe it. And you, you, it's the self-reporting. So I will I foresee it as, you know, the campaign for tobacco free kids or any one of the anti-tobacco groups, they're going to start hiring people that are going to go around and, and do this research. And if they don't do it, it's going to be grants from the federal government that will do that. Um, and these are going to start getting reported to the FDA. Um, you also saw last month, 
I think that there were 18 different um, violations in one of the stretches that had, and, and I think Glenn and I were on a, a text chain together where we saw it was all about e-cigarettes and vapor products. And, um, you know, they, they, these resembled other products that are out there uh, in, in the world. And we said to one another, you know, hey, there's some stuff that's coming out in, in the, the cigar industry that we need to be cognizant cognizant of we don't want to go in this direction fda if fda is going after e-cigarettes for doing something similar or the same thing as what's in the cigar industry um that needs to stop and like you know we've we've kind of already said this needs to stop that was kind of the first statement and that was last year um and we had some self self-policing but there's, you know, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself and the, the, you know, Scott in making that announcement, but self-regulation on that. The other piece of self-regulation that um, we're working on is um, involves employment, working in a cigar lounge and um, being aware that it's a smoking environment. It, it feels common sense, but we have... Uh, anti-tobacco groups going out there saying that, um, you know, they shouldn't, employees shouldn't have to uh, choose between a paycheck and their health. And, um, you know, for all the folks that I go and I visit over a hundred, 150 cigar lounges or cigar shops a year, and I know Glenn does the same, our team does the same. Everybody that's working in a cigar shop is either a cigar smoker or wants to be there because it's a, a good environment and they enjoy it. So um, it's it's one of those things where I know with cigarette smoking in the casinos, that that's the area that tends to get a lot of the limelight in this regard. Um, and, we, we, you know, Pennsylvania, we might talk about that. We're going to have uh, yep. That that's something that uh, we we've seen there, where you know you have casino uh, blackjack dealers saying that they don't want to work in a smoke environment, and that's why that they need to ban indoor smoking. Well, you know our viewpoint on that is we need an exemption from all of that because these environments, these small businesses, were created with the specific purpose of enjoying cigars, and no one should you know if you don't like cigars, don't go there. And if you don't want to work in a cigar lounge, you know, there's a lot of other jobs out there. You know, it's just, is this just, yeah, I was just gonna say, is this just another example of what we're seeing about like with overreach that, you know, Glenn alluded to it earlier when he was talking about the, the, the all inclusive, you know, nature of it. So like, you know, no one, no one in a casino wants to work in a smoking environment. Therefore all indoor smoking should be banned. Same similar vein. Yeah. You know, they want to, it's, I think that they reach for the stars. You know, you have these groups out there that um, their policy is it's, it's not negotiation in any of my previous roles working in, in financial services or transportation, there was always a give and take and it wasn't an adversarial uh, approach you know, you might not get all the transportation funding and, you know, motorcycles might not get this, but cars would get this or vice versa. But it wasn't like, we want to end you. Well, what we're up against is a very well-financed set and collection of groups that want to end the existence of our passion and of the businesses that PCA represents. Yep. So, 
on that note, you didn't say their name, but I will. So, I mean, you we talked about earlier and how the, there's been no indication that the FDA will appeal. What is what are our adversaries, our our, our colleagues, if we could use that term as genuinely as genially as possible, our colleagues on the other side of this, tobacco-free kids, for example. They can't. They they can't be taking this decision lying down. What are what are we seeing from them? What are we hearing from them? With all these with all these these particular uh, decisions going our way, and and again, they have to be on the front lines in a fight like like we're up against in Pennsylvania. Yeah, they're. I mean, they're moving it, and I think Glenn will have insights on this. But they're moving it to his battlefields at the states, and Ryan's at the international level. Um, you know, federally, they're still introducing bills. Um, you know, con Congress is kind of a mess all, all around. So, you know, bad policy, although it's being introduced, we've kind of figured a formula, um, you know, knock on wood, how to prevent a lot of that uh, from, from happening. And, and I don't expect anything uh, too crazy this year, this year or into next year in those regards uh, being passed through, um, you know, Congress and signed into law. But, um, you know, in, in the states, localities, internationally, that's where they're really going, you know, full bore. And they're recruiting new adversaries. It's um, really eye-opening. <clears throat> We're fighting in, in Pennsylvania, the um, heating and cooling the folks that do ventilation. And they're saying that, you know, all buildings need to be 100% smoke free. So, you know, that's, and, and we're calling out these contradictions. I think one of the new things that's a breath of fresh air for the in industry um, and for PCA in particular is we're not afraid to throw a counter punch. We're not afraid to call yeah. out. Um, and if you looked at our, our communication across the board that are going out, they're hard hitting. They're you know calling when the CDC put out, um, and excuse my language, a bullshit study. We called it a bullshit study and said, this is why it's factually inaccurate. Yeah. Um, and we're doing more of that. And that was I a great job. Great job. You guys were very swift with that. Yeah. So that, you know, that, that aggressive nature is yeah. going to continue. Uh, yeah. We're going to come out against uh, some of the stuff about the ventilation in, in the next few days, but yeah, the, the battlefield shifted and Glenn can talk about that a little bit. I know the States are, are, are yeah. prime. Time for that. Well, yeah. Glenn, Glenn, I'll ask this and what leg are they standing on then? What the, the, this, this, the, this industry, the HVAC industry where all, buildings need to be smoke-free what leg are they standing on with this why are they why are they making this broad generalization because they want to be able to say that there is no safe level of smoke that there is no system meaning mechanical system capable of 100 percent filtrating uh, a given space and have they met the people at rabbit air <laughs> our friends at rabbit air right here. right that's a great question bear um, I'm, I'm, yeah i'm like i'm being it's it's a little smart alecky but i mean like seriously well there's there are companies uh, dedicated to this and there's proof that 100 percent of we had a a retailer give testimony recently who said they know that they bought a system that that 100 circulates 
100% of the oxygen in that given room every three minutes. And, you know, they paid, you know, probably $30,000 for that system. It's, I don't want to say the whole debate's probably driven by trial lawyers, but I'm probably not far off by saying that. Um, <laughs> but the, it, it was that, that debate that came up in, in Pennsylvania during testimony um, the other day isn't new. That's been going on since the original proposal to ban smoking in Vegas casinos came about. And the, it's called the Society of HVAC Engineers. And when I first read that, and it was probably a decade ago, I, I said, well, there's an, there's an enemy of the cause that I, I wouldn't have predicted. It caught, I mean, that caught me off guard a, a decade. Uh, yeah, I'm off guard hearing about this right now because, yeah. This, this isn't new. It's, yeah. it's goofy, though, because, you know, that association isn't serving its members. Their members are selling these units. And basically what they're saying is these units don't work. That's what they're telling the government. So they're so they're making they're manufacturing a product. They're that's, selling it. They're making a profit. That's slander. That's and, slander. And they, yeah. and they say they're not working. That's slander it, to say. It, these it, fucking it, do your job. It, it says hundred percent, and some of them are the yeah. you know the engineers, but you have these in building code that require them. So you know, if someone wants to open up a new cigar lounge, they might be required to. And and I've heard it from folks over six figure systems, and then they're saying that you know to have hundred percent quality air. It has to be 100% not, no smoking. But you're also seeing this influx of the debate and the arguments talking about third-hand smoke. That's the the latest, you know. Yes, the biggest trade. myth in the world. Yeah. Third-hand yeah. smoke. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting that Pennsylvania, I've mentioned, it got, a, it got some traction on Cigar Coop. One of the things that we got some good feedback from people that are in my article is very small, but it, like a lot of people, the way the mainstream media portrayed that ban, they were focusing it a lot on the casinos. Like that was like, Oh, you know, there's a bill and the way it was being presented is the bill is being produced. Uh, you know, is, is they're trying to ban smoking in casinos. A lot of people didn't realize it was a lot more than that. I mean, it was very, it was a comprehensive ban and that people, that was an eye opener to a lot of people. You know, the way that got reported by mainstream media in Pennsylvania was different. Well, that's the reason that we, in our testimony, we, we submitted written testimony, um, both the Pennsylvania Retailers Association as well as PCA. And it's the reason in, in the comment that we drafted for the committee, uh, we noted that Pennsylvania is home to some of the greatest cigar bars. in. A, oh, in the absolutely. Country. Yeah. I mean, you know, what what Greg Fox and, and best cigar have done up in the upper Poconos with their beer pub. A matter of fact, well before this hearing, well, before I remember seeing a, I don't know, a, an advertisement. I think it was a mainstream ad that they ran for it. They explicitly talked about the air filtration system up at their, their beer pub that they've got restaurant that allows, you know, for smoking and how often the oxygen was completely circulated in that area. And I remember, and Greg Fox said this in his testimony the other day, but it was a couple of years ago, the first time I saw this promotion of that, of, of their establishment up there, he said the air system, and I'll never forget him saying this, the air system is so good that our restaurant and bar attracts non-smokers. Wow. 
that's a great that's a that's a powerful that's a, that's a telling telling commentary that people love, love the atmosphere that he'd built up there and then by the same token uh i was up there right when it opened uh the the ashton cigar bar in philadelphia um you you could put you know 75 people in that bar and you can't see smoke and you got the, what CI's done up in at their facility in Hamburg. Um, you've got the the Leaf up there in, in Easton with with Famous. Um, you've got uh, what Rocky has built. I've in, been there. Yep. At Burn Pittsburgh, which is absolutely a world class cigar bar. Oh, it's amazing that place. God knows how much he spent on the air system in that place. Yeah, I think it's like eight thousand square feet or something like that and you cannot see smoke when you walk into the place i mean this the commonwealth of pennsylvania is home to some of the greatest cigar bars in the country and we pointed that out in the testimony to say you know this ain't just about casinos yeah oh by the way i, I gotta give a breaking story on pennsylvania here uh this comes from like my uh my satellite reporter who's a PCA board member, Jay Davis. He is reporting that in the Phillies locker room, they're smoking Ashton, Ashton cabinets. <laughs> so, so yes, uh, to celebrate the playoff thing, uh, which yeah. by the way, if they get their way, that could be, that could not happen. Uh, you know, if, yeah. if, so, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm still stuck on this about, about these, uh, about these companies manufacturing goods that clearly don't, that don't work. So is that is that are they saying that it's limited to cigar smoke, cigarette smoke, tobacco smoke, or are they saying that other toxic fumes don't also are also you know impervious to these these apparently terribly built systems? Um, I mean, because let's talk about carbon dioxide for a second, which is a lot more dangerous than cigar smoke. They don't differentiate in their their testimony and, and, you know, as it relates to cigarette or or cigar smoke, um, you know, it's the organization that submitted testimony in Pennsylvania is the American Society of Heating, Refrigerating and Air Conditioning Engineers. Um, And, you know, they talk about the design and and, and, um, structure of it. So. They and as Glenn mentioned, this isn't the first time that they've gone on record um, going going after this stuff. I, you know, what was surprising in this hearing too um, was you had a, a group from the Veterans of Foreign Wars (VFW) um, chapter um, saying that you know there were there was fighting about the decision to have their club. Um, you know, allow smoking or not allowing smoking. And they were asking the government to make the decision for them um, because they couldn't make the decision amongst themselves. So you had, I mean, they, the antis brought a diverse group of, of, of people forward from casino employees to these, you know, air cooling folks to, you know, veterans groups and, and all of the above. So um, I think that the, the hearing I mean, because of the depth and breadth of Pennsylvania um, as a cigar state, not only a a tobacco growing state for um, cigars, but 
the online uh, importance, but also as Glenn rattled off a lot of the list of the historic cigar bars and cigar lounges. That's why it's so important. Um, and also being one of the states that doesn't have OTP. Um, it is, you know, if you have a crown jewels, it's one of the cornerstones. Uh, yeah. Um, Florida and Pennsylvania, those are, are our strongholds. So there's, that's why I think we're taking the approach. Let's throw everything we have at this because it shouldn't get any traction. I know that some, some other lobbyists in other areas were like, well, you know, they're not going to pass it in the Senate, whatever. And it's like, no, don't, don't, uh, again, our approach is aggressive. If we can, you know, fight something, we're going to deploy the resources that we have um, and do it effectively. What, where does this now stand? There was a hearing done. Uh, what is kind of the next steps here that we kind of could expect on this over the next few weeks? I don't think it's going to be weeks. I think this will be dragged out for some time. Okay. Uh, and there's a House bill. Is there a companion bill in the Senate that that would have to happen in Pennsylvania with that? Yeah, I believe there is a companion bill. Okay. Um, the other quote I had w- was going back to the uh, HVAC stuff uh, that Bear was mentioning. So we you talked about like Rocky Patel and uh, you know Best Cigar Pub. They're bigger retailers. Now you have this argument that there's smaller retailers that don't necessarily have the um the funding to put these types of things in um you know so is that something that could be really a reason to like they can use that as a counter argument saying well okay you know but what about you know all these other stores if these other little places have it um you know could they do something you know that's that's what kind of alarms me about this because i i go to pittsburgh's from time to time and i know pittsburgh's got a lot of small places and i could see that being an issue a lot of new building codes require the systems. Okay. So, you know, it, it, it really, if you're building something or you're renovating, it's required. So, you know, I think that would be our response to that. But Glenn, you might have other thoughts on that. Uh, but let's, I'm just thinking anecdotally here. How often, I mean, I, I, we all go into hundreds of cigar shops. How often have we really been in a shop where the smoke was really bad? I mean, if it's bad, there's not a system is what I've found or a bad system that's malfunctioning. I haven't been in many shops in the last decade and a half that were really what I would consider annoying. I think retailers have taken the necessary steps to create a comfortable environment. They have a vested interest in creating a comfortable environment. And I think they're doing that voluntarily without government interference. But you know how it is, guys. You know, it's it's there's a perception thing, right? You know, someone sees a cigar store, they're gonna say immediately they smell cigar smoke. And well, and yeah, you know, that's that's what happens. Yeah. Well, no, no, hold on a second. It's about people's comfort though. I worked retail for a number of years and I remember this, I remember this like it was yesterday. I remember a lady opened the door to the shop. I was standing, I don't know, seven feet from the door, and I was smoking a cigar, obviously. And she immediately covered her mouth. And she walked out, didn't come in for a few minutes. She comes back, still has her, you know, she, I guess, she, presumably she went to her car, got herself like a scarf or a handkerchief. She was holding it over her mouth. And so I put my cigar down. It was clearly bothering her. Now, I wasn't going to ask everyone to do that in the shop, obviously. That's a different story. But, you know, I helped her during the humidor. She was buying a gift. 
but that's it. She was in and out. And it's just, it's just, it's called decency and, and, uh, and taking those into consideration. It, that's a very, yeah, very small it, micro example. It, but exactly. That's yeah. what, that's what these vent- ventilation systems do is to make people feel comfortable. Yeah. Yep. No, so that's, um, I agree. So yeah, I, I uh, obviously this is a, a big thing, and like uh, you said, Pennsylvania is it's a very important thing that that one doesn't go down, uh, for sure. With that, um, I want to move forward, but I want to go back to one thing that we kind of left. I wanted to ask about the self regulation. We kind of got we kind of moved into this. So this is don't take this question the wrong way. It's just I'm just asking this kind of because it's just something I'm thinking about. So self-regulation is a very new area for this, the PCA. And my question on this is, I think it's going to change how the organization has to operate with self-regulation. Is this something that the PCA is ready for? Because I don't think it could be something that could be halfway done either. I think he's going to be in on it or out on it. So what is kind of PCA thinking if this is a route they want to pursue? How, how, like, how do you kind of transform the organization now have some, enforce, some, some self-enforcement here? I think the the key thing is having it very focused to something that, you know, we we as staff and the the board of directors um, are, you know, control um, and, um, you know, have have the understanding of um, in, in, you know, a limited parameter um, and and also doing things that are comment based on common sense and you know with an understanding that we never want to stifle creativity we don't want to um we are not the fda we're not there to you know put up regulations or um you know cause problems we're here to you know grow the premium cigar industry to legal adults you know protect the small businesses but also encourage and foster um, you know, responsible business people that are in, in, in this arena. So, um, yeah, I can tell you, we've had many advocacy committee meetings, many board meetings about self-regulation, um, and it's gone through a lot of different iterations, uh, you know, s- sometimes, and we're looking at other case study examples and in other industries, you know, you mentioned liquor, liquor, uh, one of our consultants, um, Patrick Anderson, who's does a lot of the, uh, updates with me. He also represents the liquor industry and we've, you know, worked with him and his insights on that in trying to figure out what, what is something that could work, uh, for premium cigars, knowing that they're different, the size, of the industry is very different, but they're two highly regulated products. Um, so, you know, uh, again, I think that, you know, whatever we do on self-regulation, you're going to have people that are irritated saying that we didn't go far enough, that we went too far. Um, I think striking a balance and, 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 and putting something out there. The other thing that I will say is, you know, you have a lot of folks that, talk about self-regulation and we've talked about it, but we've formally released, you know, things on PCA letterhead. Um, I think it's important to take that step. You know, PCA is, will be the first organization having a, a, a formative policy on self-regulation. Yeah. 
you know, the other organizations um, have every opportunity to do that. And if they don't like what PCA is doing, they can create their own. Um, and, you know, the one thing I will say in, in the regard to PCA self-regulation, we are a, a retail organization. Our mission statement is to focus on the business of specialty tobacco retailing, but we also have the trade show that brings the marketplace together. Um, and I think that that's an area where uh, there is some crossover and there is the opportunity and the ability to, um, you know, make sure that there's responsible practices across the board. And I don't think, I think, you know, our, our board of directors and Scott Pierce have charged our team uh, with, you know, ensuring that the trade show itself is the, is the market place for the best of the industry. Um, and that's something that we want to see forward. Very good. Wow. A lot of comments came in on this there mm -hmm. on this topic, you know, and comment about, you know, gas station was a great one. You know, yeah. you can smoke gas at a gas station. It's like, yeah, it's true. It's the really good. And there's others too, too you know, on the topic of self-regulation, again, we've, we've spent some time tonight, and I think it's worth exploring in this regard, too. Again, the, the idea of self-regulation, what are the drawbacks or what are the concerns yeah. that could surface from a body, i.e. the PCA, being a self-regulatory, is governing the right word? I don't want to misuse the word, uh, governing uh, entity. I think that the the worry and and I'll I'll kind of highlight it of something that I think is a bad example of self regulation is shaft, um, you know the texting um, we've talked about that on and I know Coop you did a story on it um, with uh, you know one of the wireless associations putting out this document that's basically preventing um, legal adults from sending. Uh, or having businesses send out text messages to people that subscribe that verify their identification on topics related to sex, hate, hate, alcohol, firearms, and tobacco. Well, you know, firearms, alcohol, and tobacco are legal products. And, um, you know, that's, you know, if somebody goes and signs up at a cigar shop, that they want to receive alerts about special events or, um, you know, some people do promotions where you get a cigar on your birthday or $10 off on your birthday or whatnot. Um, you're allowed to do that. And I think, you know, on the promotional side with the decision um, in the court case, there's a lot of other opportunities that are afforded to premium cigars that aren't for other products. So um, I think going too far, um, is the biggest worry or threat. Um, and I can tell you that no one, no one on, on, on the PCA board or PCA staff um, wants to, it's not about control. It's not about, you know, um, you know, the authority or the power. It's here are, here's some uh, responsible guidelines based off of real world feedback that we're seeing that the FDA is doing to other products. I think that if you look across the board and you look at all the other tobacco products or nicotine products in, in general, they all want to be in the predicament that premium cigars are in 
based off of the, the victories, the exemptions, the state victories, the federal victories, all of the above. And we want to ensure that we're able to continue to, um, you know, preserve that. Um, so that's the logic behind it. I think that's the, the risk, but um, I think it's being done in a way that um, is very responsible and um, has had board feedback in, in many iterations and some outside, um, outside, you know, the PCA itself. We've talked to our manufacturing partners about this. We've talked to the CAA about this. We've talked to CRA about this. Um, so it shouldn't come to a surprise to anyone. Very good. All right, want to move into another big story that hit over the last week. At the this is one back to the federal level. Um, this was the this one's something that's come up a lot of times. Uh, the proposed tax equity uh, in the Care for Moms program. Um, I guess the way I kind of assess this is very dangerous types of. This is the most. This is the legislation that scares me the most because they they sneak this stuff in. You know, on the surface, it's 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 a great program, right? It's a nice program, but then under the covers, they are they're 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 going to us to fund the whole thing, you know, and and it's it's an unfair thing. Um, how how real is this threat? I mean, it seems to come up every few years, but I always wonder if some backdoor deal could be happening where this thing advances. So, what what yeah. where, where are we with this? And that's the real concern, Coop. You're right. I mean, if if a last minute deal is struck, um, you know, in the House, they don't have the votes. Um, you know, in the, the Senate, I, I also don't think that they have the votes for something like this, you know, and it is where, you know, we try to differentiate ourselves um, a lot from the other categories, other tobacco products. But in this sense, we're kind of all together in this. This is bad for everyone, for yeah. cigarettes, to vape, to, you know, it, it it's all encompassing, um, doesn't have a, a ton of co-sponsorship. Um, in its introduction. So, you know, whereas it was in Build Back Better, uh, a moving vehicle, um, la you know, la well, I think it was last year, um, that, that was more of a threat. And you had a unified government with all um, Democrat control. Um, the Dem Democrats were the ones, uh, and not to be partisan on this, but right. it was introduced by Democrats in the House and the Senate, really the Illinois delegation in, in particular, yeah. um, without having unified government, having the House controlled by Republicans and the Senate being such a slim margin, um, it's it will be a that's an uphill battle for them um, to get anything across the finish line. Got it. And, and the president has made um, commitments not to tax mid middle class folks, too. And that's commitments that we raise if, you know, something that we're, we're to go through, that, that would violate, um, you know, President Biden's pledge um, on, on taxation. But didn't on the other hand, he made this other promise, right, that he wants to get cancer levels down. Right. So that's the other side of this. Right. I'm going to get cancer levels down. And what, what easiest way to do it is to go after smoking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot that cancer moonshot initiative. The alcohol industry. I'm just saying. 
<laughs> but we're but we're but we're the ones that are trying to pro they're trying to go prohibition again. I that's, understand that's, that. Yeah, but yeah. The the easy art the easy argument doesn't fly with me, Coop. You know this about me. I'm just yep. there's there's there there are there are a lot greater causes of cancer and health risk and and uh, abuse by minors across right. other industries and other. Just other things like just that's that's crock of shit, man. Yeah. The, the ease right. of thing is just is is I just doesn't fly with me. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I agree with you because, I, look, I have three boys and I know what they would try to get first before tobacco, you know, so no doubt what they were doing in high school. Coop, I, I agree. You know? I agree. You're right. How about microwaving our food in plastic? That can't be good for us. Or, or, yeah, that's true. Or styrofoam. I've seen people do. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so. God. Just make a gag. I, I so I want to I want to turn back to Glenn on the state stuff, and then I have a few other things to. We'll, we'll wrap up I'm this busy. segment. I gotta go. <laughs> I'm just. Kidding. I didn't want that. It wasn't even me, Coop. He doesn't want to talk to you. It wasn't even me. Wanted to start with him. No. no so, um, you know, Glenn. Um, b- before and I know there's gonna be more. There's gonna be more state stuff we'll talk about in the last segment too, but. Battles in the states right now. Give us a kind of a scorecard of where we're at as we head into the end of the of this year. Because, well, uh, yeah. Let me remind your viewers of, of what happened this year because I think it was an unprecedented. I I agree. It was year. great. Yeah. Eight governors signed essentially pro cigar legislation. Eight governors. I mean, I. I I've been watching this stuff for 17 years and I I could never imagine a a more perfect storm for the industry. Tax caps in Idaho, Montana, and Nevada, cigar lounge, cigar bar legislation in Connecticut, North Dakota, and West Virginia, no local authority ordinances allowed on tobacco in South Carolina. And the bill in Louisiana that prevents taxation of products on the trade show floor when the show is in New Orleans. That's eight governors signing eight wonderful pieces of legislation sponsored by dozens of state legislators, either patroned or co-patroned. And I did a quick tabulation on this, excluding the bills that died like a tax increase in Tennessee and and bills like that, that are more macro in scope on the eight bills, the eight bills signed by the governors over 600 state legislators voted for those bills. And that's a little number that we, we haven't thrown out lately. Right. Right. um, I did a quick tabulation on the yays and nays, and it was just over 600 state legislators voted for those pro cigar pieces of legislation. On the horizon, uh, I want to pull out the crystal ball a little bit with you here. Mm-hmm. We know that cigar uh, uh, tax cap bills are planning to be introduced in Georgia, Nebraska, reintroduced in New York, Virginia, and Kentucky. And on the negative side, we have, to, and I, I think it deserves as much play as the Pennsylvania bill, there was a hearing the same week to double the OTP tax in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And that had a patron hearing. Uh, We quickly 
galvanized our retail partners in in Massachusetts. Uh, we had Steve Willard down at LJ Peretti on call to go up to the Capitol from since he's at the bottom of the hill uh, in Boston Common to go up there. But it was a patron hearing, and we're going to have to be very cognizant of that piece of legislation going into between now and 24 as much as as we are thinking about Pennsylvania uh, and and the smoking bill in, in Pennsylvania. So that's a healthy prediction of what bills are to come good, bad, and indifferent going into the 2024 state legislative season. I thought it was a good, really good job um, this year. It seemed, like I said, the last couple of years has been some great momentum uh, and, and you, you should, uh, you know, definitely be applauded on, on a lot of that. I thought the Louisiana thing was, was really key because it kind of, you know, by getting that, uh, I don't know, is, is, is it an exemption? I don't know how you want to call it, but, you know, that was key to, you know, obviously the trade show needed to move and, you know, New Orleans was an option. And that was a key, key barrier that was removed to, to bring that trade show back. Well, and we really, you know, on a legislative and political front, we really want to thank our, our friends at the New Orleans uh, Convention and Visitors Bureau, which now goes under New Orleans, Inc., I believe. But the former, basically the tourism office for the for the city of New Orleans and the, they really, uh, they provided direct testimony on the legislation. It shows how the city, you know, wants the industry back. Uh, they extended it out till 2030, I think. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, but we had a, a, a great patron from New Orleans uh, sponsor the bill. And the fact that the city through the tourism uh, agency Spon uh, not sponsored, but promoted the legislation and advocated for the organ for the tax <laughs> relief on trade show samples uh, was a was a great testament to a partnership yeah. with a non cigar entity, if you will. Right, and, and for folks who may not understand that that if if that that basically removed the tax on the trade show samples, it would have been a very burdensome thing on on the industry if they had to go there, have a trade show, and have that tax. So having that removed was was very key. Um, and like I said, I, I've been critical about why we're going back to New Orleans. I'll be honest, but that was a good step. At least what I saw is, okay, the PCA, uh, the state advocacy is, is all right. If we're going back there, this is what we need here, you know? So it, that was a good job. I thought that was a really good job. And it, it kind of softened my position a bit about going to New Orleans afterwards on that. Hey, New Orleans in the springtime is a beautiful place. Uh, Clint, this is uh, on these topic of state associations and everything like what's been the biggest surprise for you as you've been building up these organizations and working with retailers what state has been the biggest surprise for you that you thought was going to be a challenge and or more challenging and and they've actually thrown some really great support our way well i can't say enough about the organization of the new york tobacconist association uh, they raise a lot of money they contract out with their independent lobbyists in albany They've got good legislation with the cigar bar bill and the tax cap bill. It's taking some time, but they're being consistent. They're being very consistent at their presence in, in Albany. Um, I think the uh, retailers of Maryland and Virginia have really done some incredible organizational capacity work at uh, galvanizing their, their marshaling their forces, building allies in the legislature. Um, we just had a wonderful meeting of the new state association in Indiana, 
um, in August where they're they're getting off the ground and they've got a great strong political agenda with reducing the tax cap level there. Um, uh, they're getting off the ground with a new board of directors in California, uh, very active association in, in Colorado. Right now, basically, you can summarize it. Uh, we've got about 26 very, very active or engaged at uh, some level of state associations in 20, 26, basically 28 states right now. And we've got the formative stages coming for probably another six or seven. So that's a, and the ones that are left are the states that really genuinely don't have any consistent issues in their state legislature. So we're concentrating on those that um, that really are predictably going to need help in some form or fashion. Um, I, we're going to get a new reorganized association off the ground in Massachusetts, um, working on the same in Louisiana, Kansas, uh, there's going to be some reinvigoration of efforts in Illinois and Wisconsin. And we're even going to be doing the same thing in Florida that granted the, the strong political base in Florida, there's still a lot of needs to, well, let me put it to you this way. One of the, not only state legislation is the reason we need strong state associations, not just state legislation. We need state associations to also be a, a, a source of reinforcing our message at the federal level. And a lot of these states may not have consistent issues in their state capital, like in Arkansas, but we know that the, we want their congressional delegation to be reinforcing our message in Washington. And that that having that strong state association reinforces it at the local level in the city halls, the state capital, as well as the federal congressional delegation. So it's a it's a real partnership and collaboration, and and I'm really pleased with the direction we're going on it. As Josh mentioned earlier, you know we got too many states where two or three or five retailers are carrying the political water for the whole state, and that's something we need to work on. In other states, we're having strong a strong response, and I, I think what happened in Massachusetts this past week was a case in point. One email about the threat of the tax increase galvanized. Uh, quickly, a strong collection of comments that were sent to their respective state legislators in in Boston as a result of this proposal just being on the table. And I was really pleased with the number of retailers that within an hour, within an hour, sent me copies over, as I point to my other computer, sent me copies of the letters that they immediately sent that we didn't script at all. I mean, they came from the heart. Don't do this to us. And this is why. Uh, and that's the type of rapid response we need for every anti-proposal or or favorable proposal that's on the table affecting the industry. Very good. Very good. So uh, a uh, good year um, for that. Um, and like I said, I think, uh, you know, you mentioned Massachusetts. You know, I think I've heard stories years ago how you know, Dave Garofalo is famous for saying how no one would really join in on the fight on that tax. He ended up just moving his stores. Um, and now it's a big change from, you know, obviously those days. Uh, so, you know, it's a good job there that well, we're seeing. It full, it goes back full circle to what we talked about earlier, that we need the wake up calls and yep. we're going to have consistent wake up calls out there. Yep. And that's the reason that, you know, there are no office hours at 
at PCA. Obviously. <laughs> Which I kept you guys longer, I know. Uh, no problem, but no. I'm just traumatizing then. No, no, it's all good. It's listen, all good. Listen, Josh and, and Ryan and, and I, our staff, uh, we shift through thousands, and I'm not making that word that number up, thousands of pieces of legislation to get to those that are truly threatening. Yep. And we have to go through every vape and e-cigarette piece of legislation to make sure we're not getting caught up in it. Right. We have to make sure that any time that these so-called narrow flavor bans are introduced, that we're not going to get caught up in it. That any time that somebody touches cigarette taxation, that we're not going to get caught up in it. Yep. So you you know out of what Josh eight eight thousand probably bills in twenty we're we're over ten thousand this year. It it's been a kind of wild how you know a lot wow. of late bloomers, uh, late bloomer legislatures are are you know Massachusetts Pennsylvania, but I mean there's a few positive ones you know Glenn that that he's working on and you know I think that Glenn deserves a a a, a really good. Um, you know, accolades for what he's done in the States this year, because I think at the trade show that that was the narrative was, you know, the wins in the States. And, you know, he got to go uh, to ceremony signing the Nevada tax cap during this year's trade show. And I think that that was indicative of all the hard work that the retailers and, and he has put into it. Now, now we got a little overshadowed by the court case, but I think that you know, what I would tell folks is that, you know, PCA advocacy, we, we built a world-class team um, that, you know, cares about the industry and um, we're seeing victories on, on all, all levels. Um, and we, we hope to um, continue that success. It's, we've been kind of joking, like how, how do you beat this year? Um and um, next year, uh, because that's that's what we're we're focused on. We want to win. We want to see uh, the industry continue to grow and thrive. Well, that being said, I appreciate that. But I tell you what, I've got to totally defer to the, the credit to the leadership in the retail community in the states, because you know we can't afford to to go to every state capital. I mean, I provided testimony and. Just either written or personally provided testimony in most of these bills this this year, but you know if it hadn't been for Josette Dupree with Big Sticks Cigars in North Dakota, that cigar lounge bill would not have passed. If it weren't for the leadership of the Connecticut retailers, the Connecticut Cigar Bar Bill, where they amassed a great coalition and helped make their case uh, themselves to their legislators personally, that bill would not have passed. If Michael Fry had not played head cheerleader uh, at pulling together the coalition with the retail community in Nevada, that tax cap bill would not have passed. And likewise in Montana and Idaho, these retailers, and, and I can name virtually one per state of that list, that there was a true, true ringleader in the retail community that helped make that happen. We reinforced their message. We sent out the grassroots alerts. We provided testimony. But there is nothing, there is nothing like a retailer personally working with their state legislators to make something good happen. And that's the case study that came out of, of 2023. 
Agree. I agree with you on that. I think that's a great, you know, look, like I said, you, you can't be in 50 states at once. Uh, these things are happening. So I think that's a very key strategy you guys are implementing. And uh, good job on that. Yeah, that's key. It's what you do when there's not a lot of money. <laughs> well, I mean, granted, I mean, there's not a lot of money, even if you didn't, that's a big nut to, you know, crack. If, if there is a lot of money, it's still a lot of money. Yeah. You know, it's still a lot of money to do. It's travel, you know, like I said, going to 50 states, it's very tough. So well, uh, we ended up calculating, you know, we take that 10,000 collection of bills. We narrowed it down to uh, 51 pieces of legislation in 32 states that we had to pay some attention to. Yeah. All right, I want to flip back to something that uh, this is a little more at the federal level, but I didn't want I have it. I do want to talk about it at the state levels now. So, um, Josh, you published a, a couple of uh, articles in response to those case studies that were done. Um, I think they were sponsored by the Cigar Society of Research for Nicotine and Tobacco. Mm -hmm. And there was a bunch of studies. I think I want to say it's like 14 to 16 of these things that were put out. Um, we won't go through them all, right? Um, but this kind of sense, there was a couple of things that kept me up at night with these, okay? Uh, in particular, the two areas, where, the one area where I'm just like losing sleep over is social media, media advertising, um, where this is like something that can affect what we do, okay? It, and not just media, but, you know, a lot of retailers now depend on these things. A lot of manufacturers depend on these things. And I think there's a real threat going on with this right now where, you know, I, my fear is they could shut us down on this at this point. And this, my other fear is that this may be a, a way the FDA kind of tries to go after us now instead. Okay. We can't, we can't work with, um, you know, basically, uh, you know, sub substantial equivalents. We're not going to get that done. Pre-market is not going to work. Let's let's try to strangle this industry another way. And this is one that I'm greatly fear feared with. So you've kind of responded to a bunch of these, Josh. I'll let you talk a bit on this. Yeah, I think that we saw those studies come out there, and uh, you know that was shortly after the the uh, court decision. And um, to me, it was, all right, this is the underpinnings of where FDA is headed mm -hmm. into the future. And in response to the NASM report, this is the research that they were doing, you know, yeah, yeah, that they were embarking on. Right. Now, you know, and Ryan Parada worked on this a lot with me. Um, it wasn't real research. It was kind of literature review. And we, we kind of highlighted a lot of that, the inherent biases, the, the fact that it wasn't, you know, the methodology was screwed up. Uh, you know, in one of them, they just analyzed a few cigar festivals and, and, you know, what was on their website and social media and, and you know, said, it criticized one for donating to a veterans group. Yep. Uh, you know, things like that. And, and it was like, all right, this is kind of preposterous. Um, but you're, you're right. You know, I think as it relates to the cigar media side, um, there's inherent first amendment protections, um, with government. And, and fortunately we have that, uh, in place. Um, however, I think from your perspective, the biggest thing to worry about is the private platforms. Yes. Uh, 
you know, those are the ones where, you know, government can't shut down or chill speech, um, you know, to, to that effect, or there's at least recourse, there's ways that you can fight back, you know, there's a process with, you know, your elected officials, there's a process on the regulatory side, there's the courts for, for things like this, and there's a First Amendment. However, you know, terms and services, working with a, you know, streaming platform or whatever, that is the, 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 area of, of most concern as it relates to that. But you're, you're right. The studies, I think, are con the conventional thinking of the FDA, where they want to go. Um, we also responded to the rapid surveillance thing from Rutgers University, which to me just sounds like Big Brother. Um, you know, whoever termed it rapid surveillance, it, you know, the optics of uh, these researchers going in and spying on uh, mom and pop retailers, you know, definitely conjures up a thing from 1984. Um, and, you know, we're, we're going to call it out on that. And if they do some more of these things, you know, there are parts of those studies that we agree with and are, we're actually favorable, much right. like Mason. But, um, you know, the ones on festival marketing, I think that was a particularly bad one. Um, I'm trying to think all, I mean, there were, I think 15 of them in total. Yeah. yeah the, the social media one was the other one that like alarmed me a lot. Um, so let me, let me ask this question back to Glenn now. Okay. So let's say some, I was talking to Glenn about this a little in the green room. So let's say there's some legislation that's introduced in a state, uh, you know, that would ban, first of all, like basically a private platform. Like I can't have a, a, you can't have a tobacco website, right? Is that something that, or, or you can't have a cigar festival in this state anymore? Is this something that, and we've seen how these things have, have crept into the state levels and eventually make it back to the federals. H how real is the threat with that right now? Cause that, that's one that worries me right now that let's say, you know, you're, you're, and I look at what happened to, um, th there was a website called ministry of cigars, uh, that served that was based in Singapore, and basically they shut the, the the government of Singapore shut this guy down because anything he was doing on a cigar review or press release was considered advertising, and they went after him that way. And and Baron, I had him on the show a couple of years ago. They 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 shut this guy down essentially, like, and he wasn't mark he wasn't really doing marketing. He was he was doing media, but they considered it advertising. So that was always in, in the back of my mind a fear that that could happen at a state level. Like, what if a state does that? Um, is that something, Glenn, that's something you've seen? Is there anything that's concerning with that? I think every form of threat needs to be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. I think what happened with the generational smoking ban legislation is living proof of how bad ideas spread. I mean, it went from, you know, New Zealand to around the world in no time flat to just, what was it, Josh? It took about two years for it to spread from New Zealand and then... Just in the past seven days, uh, the prime minister of England said, well, maybe we should try that. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, then a state legislator in, in um, California um, proposed it and has promised to bring it back. I think that things like festivals should be considered threatened in this environment. Um, I, I'll give you another example is. You know, it was a, a good while back that the FDA first proposed, well, in the final rule in 2016, 
originally floated a, a flavored tobacco ban. Well, just because they proposed it, it became the rallying cry of the antis in the state capitals well before the federal governments even had an opportunity to go through the public comment period. So you can see where the, the debate does, in fact, shift to the states and localities yep. very quickly when bad, and that's how bad ideas spread. Now, just like you know, the First Amendment protects a, a lot of forms of speech. And I, I'll tell you what, I, from Michael Edney, I learned a lot about this term compelled speech under the Constitution. Mm -hmm. uh, compelled speech is as much as a part of the First Amendment as freedom of speech. And when he used the terminology, and I'll never forget this in the courtroom, in the first judge made a hearing, I, I was in the courtroom for that one. And um, he said that if we had gone down that path, it would have forced the industry to, quote unquote, become billboards for government speech. And we have to be very cognizant of that. And I think things like festivals and gatherings uh, celebrating cigars should be considered threatened in this environment. That being said, I wrote a piece about the the proposed ban on on all forms of cigar smoking and smoking in general in the city of Hollywood, California, uh, to the point where former Governor Schwarzenegger wrote a letter um, to the city council because it would have affected you know the private cigar club in Hollywood. Um, I made the argument, and I had a lawyer reinforce it, that there's such thing as preventing freedom of assembly for us. And I think freedom of assembly is is a legal argument. And I, again, is the premise, we're not lawyers, but preventing us from gathering where, we're, where we are welcomed uh, should be something we give a great more thought to. So I think all of these things that you hear as threats, even tacitly, even remotely, should be put on our political agenda as issues that we have to be cognizant of every single day. We have, we have to worry about the hypothetical. That's what makes us different. We have to worry about the hypothetical. And that's the reason the political machine for this industry can never be turned off again. Yep. Yeah, I remember, I, I think it was in one of the live streams on PCA after the decision that I think Scott made the comment that we ain't going to let what happened with S chip happen again, or even with these deeming regulations. It, 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 and that was a very positive thing I heard from the organization. Um, you know, that, that's that they're going to take every step. You guys are committed. I took that as you guys are committed to taking every step possible, not to be caught like that again. Uh, not that you want, I think it was just, you know, it was the first time everyone's going through that, obviously. The first it, was couple times. it was a different world. It was, it was a different, different world. world. It was a very different world back then. And now you guys are mobilized a lot more. And oh, you're talking about S-Chip? Yeah, well, I think S-Chip oh. and the deeming regulations, Scott was kind of alluding to the fact that, you know, hey, that was tougher to get ahead of those things, is what well, I was saying. About this. I mean, once again, ancient history. That all hit when the trade show was in Houston, Texas. And I was there just as a Joe Flunky state lobbyist for the Cigar Association of Virginia, uh, tagging along with, with Gary Pesch and, and 
Scott Regina and Shorty Cable at the Houston trade show. And the industry scrambled, scrambled for rooms to meet to address the proposal for S-Chip when it was originally $10 per cigar. That was the original proposal for S-Chip taxes on cigars. And the great story in, in cigar political lore is that right after that show adjourned, Christian Aurora, George Padron, Rocky Patel, Jeff Borshowitz all scrambled and went to Washington. And I've heard Rocky tell this story and I've heard Jeff Borshowitz tell this story. This was their grand political strategy to walk the halls and to, this is a verbatim quote, to speak to whomever would speak to them. That was the grand political strategy. Speak to whomever would speak to them. Look how far this industry has gone since then. Mobilized lobbyists, mobilized lawyers, mobilized retailers, mobilized consumers, mobilized the cigar media. In less than a decade, we've gone climbed mountains and accomplished more as an industry in such a short period of time compared to so many other special interest groups that are on every corner of every state capital and, and in Washington, D.C. since. I mean, we have, as an industry, have every reason to be incredibly proud, not just of the judge made a decision, but where this has got, come in terms of a level of political sophistication in a relatively, relatively short period of time. I agree. Agree on that. Um, Josh, one one last comment on this. So, so your responses I thought were great at poking holes into these these studies, right? But ultimately, the one thing I'm a little concerned about, again, what I haven't seen is the sense of urgency. Maybe, maybe I'm overstating that there needs to be a sense of urgency, that these are real threats. So, kind of maybe take me through it. Are there some other steps you guys are going to be doing as far as this goes? Yeah, you know, I think the first and foremost, when they convene researchers and, you know, the, the forums where there's public participation, we are weighing in, you know, we're utilizing the research that we have um, and, and kind of filling gaps. Uh, you know, I would say this is our rapid response equivalence that, you know, when they release something, we're going to respond to it and things that we don't like or things that aren't fact-based that they are purporting, we're going to address those. Um, you know, as it relates to, um, you know, things that are on the horizon, um, you know, it, we are, we're going to engage with the FDA um, as kind of, uh, you know, on a, on a quarterly basis about trying to get an indication where they're, they're heading on things. Um, there hasn't been indication um, on a lot of these studies that that's the next step. I think that they're in a little bit of disarray sure. uh, after the court decision. Um, but, you know, we haven't gotten, gotten wind that they're, you know, about to do anything on, you know, festivals in, in general or, or whatnot. Um, so, you know, we'll have to be prepared for that. We'll have to get some research, you know, on some of those subtopics. Unfortunately, some of those subtopics are pretty granular. Um, they are, but the FDA is, is upping their game with research. They announced today, you know, grants to, I think, eight universities for $140 million. 
And one of the things is going to be on secondhand smoke of non-cigarettes. Um, so, you know, they're going into other avenues and, 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 you know, where we've said, hey, you don't have any research. Now they're going to, to get the research and we need to ensure that they're doing it through the proper methods. Um, and they're not just getting a group of anti uh, you know, anti-tobacco folks together. I mean, I, I think all too often, and you, some of the uh, studies that you saw in that release, it was a cobble of anti-tobacco folks that have received money from the body parts lobby and yeah. those public health groups in the past. Well, that's not an objective study. Um, it doesn't follow the, you know, correct methodology. So we have to hold them, taking them to task, is you know the stage where we're at right now yeah i i and i agree that that's needs to be pointed out and documented so i think that was that was well done with that um i that i agree with as far as that goes all right um i have three more semi-quick hit topics um let me first talk about bear i didn't have this one in the notes but i should have um this is one that i kind of lived this world in the world of uh pharmaceuticals years ago the whole uh yeah I was hoping you touch on this yeah yeah i messed that out of the notes but the whole i know josh you and i talked about this also down at pro cigar the the whole regulations being proposed on tobacco facilities um these are apps like these could cripple these are crippling because what they're trying to do is apply like regulations they're doing to pharmaceutical facilities now to tobacco and it's like again uh, they're trying to use a one-size-fits-all and it's not going to work so where are we with that piece right now october 6th is the deadline to file a comment um you know we we have run a grassroots campaign encouraging manufacturers to file comments um that we are we finalized our comments as PCA. Um, I had a call about that this morning. Um, obviously, that there are some changes given the court decision based off of our comments, but there are still things that I mentioned when I was talking about bulk tobacco. That's what a lot of this would apply to. Right. I think there's a lot of intergovernmental. Uh, problems with the way that the regulation is written that they're that FDA is going to have to address, you know, number one, the enforcement mechanisms, um, you know, bank regulators are not being allowed in Nicaragua, right? Yeah. Now. So like, fundamentally, the Food and Drug Administration, how are they going to go to Nicaragua um, and, and, and enforce something like that. Right. I mean, it, it just, there's a lot of things that I, and, and I pointed out in a lot of my comments uh, before the FDA is, have you talked to state department? Have you talked to customs and border patrol? Have you talked to these other agencies that are your enforcement mechanism? Have you talked to the small business administration and how this would affect sure. and, they really, I, to me, I don't think they've had those because these are bigger ticket international com commerce questions that yes, we're a small industry. Um, you know, the regulation itself, it was crafted in a way that, you know, benefits um, domestic cigarette tobacco 
um, you know, those are the folks that could comply reasonably comply with this type of regulation. But again, it was more modeled after ph pharmaceutical and food programs. Um, you know, if you look at food programs, the FDA has these standards, they have these regulations in place, but they don't meet their goals. Um, I think that th they met for, for one of the standards, and, and this was another piece that uh, an independent uh, group or foundation, it may have been even Reagan Udall, said that they only hit 5% of their goal on food, food regulations. So like, you know, if, if you're not able to do it for, for food, why are you trying to do something like this on pharmaceuticals or, or on uh, in pharmaceuticals on tobacco products? Um, you know, we're going to fight this all along the way. And um, I think that, you know, the, the court decision will take make it so that a lot of premium cigar manufacturers won't have to uh, comply with this. This was something that we actually used. Um, and I, I had brought this up to Michael Edney and, and Rocky uh, about getting an update from the judge. You know, it was we, we didn't hear anything. We didn't know what was going on. And I said, bring this regulation up as something that. It's a future regulation that would affect, um, you know, yeah. the premium cigar industry. And that was something we did a supplemental brief, you know, here's a status update. And that's what, um, you know, you know, it was, I think it was a couple months later, but it was a trigger to this. And it was cited in uh, Judge Maida's opinion on the vacature. So um, hopefully won't apply to, um, well, it won't apply to premium cigar manufacturers, the question is mixed-use facilities and some of the bulk manufacturing uh, processes. So yeah. are, you, are you saying that they're getting ahead of themselves because they haven't consulted with all these entities that you mentioned at the very beginning of your statement? Yeah. Why, why are they permitted to consistently and continuously get ahead of themselves when again, facts and evidence in this case that we talked about at the top of the show demonstrate that this strategy doesn't work and it's unlawful. Well, in a many sense, they bleed the industries dry of resources or, you know, they assume people aren't going to fight. You know, some of these regulations do go into effect that they purport. Um, and, um, you know, another one that's on the horizon that, you know, won't affect premium cigars because of this decision is nicotine thresholds. I was going to, that was one of the three I wanted to talk that's about that's, as well. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, they delayed so far the, the FDA since the court ruling, and not all of this is cause and effect, but I'm sure that there's some influence to it. You had the delay on the comment period closing for the manufacturing practices you haven't seen a characterizing flavor or menthol ban and you've seen a delay even further on the nicotine ban yep. they are in disarray and their response thus far is ratcheting up enforcement um, on retailers and um, you know they they have done some updates to their civil money penalties um, which was a non-biting document that they put out. And that's where we, uh, you know, responded and said, well, you haven't promulgated a rule on tobacco 21. Why don't you do that? That's something Congress said. And, you know, we'll weigh in there. We can provide constructive feedback, but they, um, 
they're kind of going about it in the, the wrong way where I think a lot of the political influences, they're having to respond and say, you know, we're getting tough on this stuff. But, you know, the one say I will say about our adversaries, they are good at, you know, creating this hysteria or this, you know, whether pandemic, epidemic, whatever you want to call it about e-cigarettes, vaping. Um, and you look at that and the trends aren't aren't showcasing that even in that space, but that is brought and, and given a broad brush over all tobacco products. So we're seeing the effects of that narrative on us. Um, but, you know, I think it's safe to say that the FDA is in disarray for a multitude of different reasons. And these pending rules, proposed rules, and as you know, everything that's on the docket right now or in the, the slate, there's issues with all of them. How likely so, look I bear. So you 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 brought it up and it came up a little bit earlier as well. You know, Coop mentioned about not getting caught off guard again in regards to like S chip and deeming regulations. I'm I'm not gonna judge up the old fight about T twenty one. But there I think I think we can all agree, the four of us can all agree that there is a very real concern about T twenty five and beyond. What steps are we taking as an organization to make sure that we don't get caught off guard like we did with T twenty one, where we're looking at we're looking down the barrel of a gun with overnight law put into place that now makes smoking a legal product or consuming a legal product now illegal for people under the age of 23 or 25 or 30. What are we doing there? I, I can say any age increase that's over, you know, whether it's state or federally, that they try to make it over 21, we will actively oppose it and fight it similarly to we, what we would do with a tax increase or a flavor ban. Um, you know, I, I my my assessment on the, the T21 thing, and I, and I know, Barry, you and I have talked about this before, we didn't want to weigh in given the youth access. You know, we had the winning narrative that, you know, youth aren't smoking premium cigars. I don't like it just as much as you if you can serve in the military and, and, and um, you know, you're, you're considered an adult in a multitude of different ways at the age of 18. Um, but we didn't have the resources as not only PCA, but the cigar industry, you had major cigarette companies that were pushing this forward, which I think that a lot of them were misguided thinking that they could get this and then FDA would leave them alone. You know, all of those people were huge miscalculations and hopefully they're no longer employed with those cigarette companies uh, running their government affairs strategies because placating the FDA is not going to work. You know, it, it might, you might get a temporary couple month pause, but they're going to go back and you have the cottage industry of the Bloomberg philanthropies and all of those other entities that, you know, have a vested incentive to always create a boogeyman to go after more and more, um, you know, when when they get everything out of tobacco, they're going to go after, you know, soda and alcohol and other, you know, caffeine other other different things so um yeah what's changed what's changed about our resources and all the things that you just listed? what's changed when it comes to above t you know above 21 
what's changed? I mean, I think the the arguments um, in 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 the the key is that um, you know the art there's no one pushing for t25 within the tobacco space um that's that's a key element um i i, I think that um, glad you qualified that i was like excuse me i'm sorry in the industry itself uh it really isn't a serious policy consideration at this stage um but um what i will say is if there is a bill that's brought up at any level of government um you know our association will be opposing that i think also you know at you're starting at that stage it's it becomes crazy where 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 do you stop um again i think you know exactly personally personally there you and i are on the on the same page um but unfortunately at the time the association didn't have that we had all these other fights going on and didn't have the capacity uh to beat the cigarette companies and the anti-groups that were you know fighting for this together in unison no i understand that now um glenn so what's being st- on this point and what's being done in the state of hawaii uh on the state level on the proposal that you can only buy tobacco products if you reach the age of 100. Yeah. And all the other ridiculous hilarity. Yeah. That they're there. They seem to be the front runners for on the state, on the state side, they seem to be the front runners for pushing this agenda for introducing it, not for passing anything. Fair point. What, so how, how are we combating it on the, on the state level? Why do, do we have a state association in Hawaii? There is a state association for Hawaii, and um, my old friend Les Drent uh, started it and has kept it alive, and who you know produces cigars with Hawaiian tobacco, and he's got a great uh, network in Hawaii, but it's sort of like the Pennsylvania smoking proposition. It doesn't go away. It's always there. They introduced dozens and dozens of bills in the state of Hawaii, uh, but none of them, you know, are, none of them advance and rare, rarely get a hearing. So it's hard to take that one seriously, if you will. I, I mean, I agree. It's hilarious and it's, and it's, and it's on the surface level and everything, but again, I, I just worry about the, the way that the, the envelope keeps getting pushed. And again, I, I really don't want to keep going back to T21 with it, but it's just, it, it, gets it, with, it gets pushed with these generational bands. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the new mantra that seems to be spreading with a lot more credibility than saying you have to be a hundred. Right. So yeah, I mean, what we're seeing in what, internationally, and I know Ryan's not here, but like the what we're seeing internationally in like Australia, New Zealand, where you know the there are people being born now that will never be able to consume tobacco legally. You know, that's 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 the threat you're talking about in terms of generational ban, correct? That's right. Yeah. And it's funny because Australia, the one of the folks that was pushing for that was just recently seen smoking a cigarette or smoking. So I I saw a report. Money talks and bullshit walks, Josh. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, you got the hypocrisy of things over there. Yeah. I know Dave, one of our team members is in Australia and and poor guy. I can't tell you. It's a struggle every day for him to get a cigar and smoke and find a fine place to smoke. So 
It, it really is. Um, just to kind of wrap up, just uh, again, where can you tell us where the flavored and the nicotine uh, things are? I know there's comments wrapping up of flavors and, you know, nicotine. What, where do we see the next few months as far as those go? Nicotine ha- hasn't been released yet. Uh, the maximum threshold, the proposed rule there. Um, FDA keeps punting, um, right. you know, on the characterizing flavor rule, you know, for a couple of reasons, I, I, the way that they released this was preposterous. I mean, you have, you know, why is the menthol cigarette and flavored cigar rule kind of tied together? Um, you know, these are two very distinct things. Um, you know, pe- some people have speculated that, uh, they might cut their losses a little bit and, and redefine things here and there. I, you know, I, I don't know uh, where that stands. I know that there's other, you know, associations out there and some companies that um, are, you know, have a, a real big vested interest in this. And um, we're, we will be supporting their efforts um and um you know fighting this through and through from a a retail standpoint um flavored cigars represent a a significant part of the market share um and um there's no rationale that the fda um or or um any rationale that they've provided that justifies a uh prohibition of, of flavored cigars so um, that's something that, you know, it, when they do release it, uh, then uh, we will weigh in appropriately. And we can fully anticipate flavor ban legislation being reintroduced in the states. That was, I was just going to ask, yeah. In 24, you know, most of them that were introduced this year died for one reason. It's about the money. And when these bills, they'll, they will traditionally sail through a legislative health committee and then die in their respective appropriations and finance committees because state legislators don't like to have to find a hole to find $20 million or $5 million or $10 million, which are not flip numbers. Those are real numbers as far as some states are concerned if they were to go down the path of banning these flavored products. And we, we just, we fight them because we don't know how sweeping they're going to be. I mean, a lot of times it's because of the way as uh, our, our team has, has coined the term character, characterizing flavors, descriptors, descriptors, where you just describe the you know, minty flavor or the, chocolatey flavor or whatever the case might be that you get from the notes uh, on a cigar we don't know how sweeping they're going to be but but again the ones that have died have died principally because of the financial implications for the states got it all right bear anything else before we wrap up with glenn and josh here no that's all i had yep all right, guys. Um, first of all, I want to really thank you guys. First of all, Dion, for being on the show. But again, thank you guys for all the efforts and the support we've had uh, from you guys. Um, so we much appreciate it. You guys are always welcome back on. I'm sure we'll do one probably early in next year as the, as the legislatures uh, reconvene. So we'll try to get that in before the trade show for sure. So we, we really do appreciate you guys on this. Um, keep up the great work. Um, and uh, 
enjoy your cigars too. Yeah, of course. Thanks guys. We appreciate your, your time and giving us the opportunity to talk about these things. And if you ever have any, you know, questions or, you know, need, need some, um, you know, information from us, especially in October, when we release some of these things, um, feel free to reach out to Glenn or, or myself or, or Scott Pierce as well. You know, Scott, I, I will, you know, close on this, Scott, um, and our board, uh, you know, Greg, Greg Zimmerman and, and now Scott Regina, their leadership has afforded us the ability to, you know, really get these victories going. And we're mm-hmm. both Glenn and I, I know I can speak for Glenn on this. We're grateful for our, our board and, and Scott Pierce's leadership to be able to, you know, have the, the free reign to do what we do um, with the, the necessary support and tools that we have. Yeah. Uh, I can honestly say uh, the leadership's never been better in the PCA. Uh, obviously, Scott, but all you guys and the board, um, they've done a great job uh, in the last, yeah. last few years for sure. So we appreciate that for sure. It's not taken for granted here either. Josh, do you, do you want to know? Pardon? Oh, the, oh, do you I want to know? What do I want to know? Do you want to? You asked the question at the beginning of the show. Do you want to know? Yes. Hey. Yeah, you got, got the it. job. You got the job done. You got the job done, and you, you got, followed through, followed up, followed through. Yeah, good. you guys get an A. Yep. Absolutely. Now we got to maintain that. Now I'm. Yeah, now you got. Now you got to go next semester. But yes, yeah, sir. Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Made the dean's list. Sam. Absolutely. We we, list. we told you guys. I think we've said. Bear said if 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 this thing was was, you know, the win. If this win happened, he would give you an A. So I was not surprised it was an A either. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because I was worried for this show that I would be talking too much and, and taking the uh, sales out of, of Glenn because I, I told Coop in the green room before I gave a, a, a lecture I teach at George Washington University. So I pivoted from being professor to tobacco lobbyist uh, in five minutes. Yeah. So <laughs> No, we appreciate it. Like I said, we, we really tried to integrate the two things in tonight, you know, so we both had, you know, engaging conversation. Yeah. And if yeah. I, yeah, if I may, Coop, just real quick before yep. you guys go, and I know y'all leave in, and, and I want to note the time, uh, Glenn, you're getting out before midnight. So um, oh, I told them it was in 90 hours. minutes, though. Three more I hours. Didn't... Oh, buddy. What's that, sir? You got three more hours to go. Come on. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, but no, sincerely, gentlemen, I just, I want to thank you so much. I just yeah. want to echo what Coop is saying. I want to thank you so much, not only for coming on the show, uh, whenever we ask and uh, answering our questions. Uh, you know, with, with candor and yeah. uh, integrity and, yeah. and honesty. Um, yeah. It's always been like that with, you know, for well, as long as I've known both of you guys. Yeah. Yes. It, it means the world to, it means yeah. the world to both of us. Uh, it means the world to our audience and uh, the, the advocacy and the work that you guys do uh, no matter what the grade um, is, is tireless. And, and you all do a incredible job at, that and we just we can't thank you enough and i'm genuinely appreciative of it and it just again um thank you for uh thank you for fighting on my behalf yep thank you guys we really do yeah thank you i mean like you said the cigar industry is a much better place than the last time you were on this show i mean that's a fact no one if anyone disputes that that then you can't make anybody happy if someone's going to dispute that (laughs) absolutely and uh and look you guys don't have your eye off the ball either so thank you guys yeah Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right. Um, and like I said, hopefully we see you guys before the trade show, but at least it won't be, if we don't see you guys, at least it will be uh, closer this year. So 
good stuff. Take care, guys. Take care. Thanks. Thank. All right. That's Joshua Habarski and Glenn Loop of the Premium Cigar Association. You have a great night, guys. Show's not over, audience. We're yep. not going anywhere. Yeah, Bear and I have a second segment we're doing. Um, and uh, actually, we have a couple of housekeeping things to do first. Uh, by the way, I'm just like uh, my phone started blowing. I had to turn my phone off. It was blowing up with the Phillies clinching. Uh, so, so, uh, but yeah. And but I, congrats, I don't, congrats, congrats, Coop, man. This, that's you. exciting, dude. Now I uh, don't know. I don't know how the tiebreakers work yet, but I don't know if we've clinched the fourth slot yet or not. If at worst case, it's a magic number one for us to clinch that fourth spot. So yeah, but I think you know the question is, will they go for ninety wins? I think it's a. I think they need to go for ninety wins, but not sacrifice it all out. Well, I thought we could get to 500. Uh, apparently, we just shit the bed. Yeah, the Yankees won again, and the Yankees won again. So, I don't care about that anymore. No, I, don't you want the Yankees in last place? They Is should. Really the Red f- Sox. The Red Sox should be fighting. They're four games behind the Yankees. <sighs> this they should be fighting to not. They the should Yankees be, but Coop. Them. But if you can't win the last, if you don't win the gas game of the season, who gives a shit at this point? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not look, I'm not confident of us against the 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 uh the Braves. Like that's who we're gonna have to go through, and that's a historically good team. I was telling Ben. So um like I if I just want us playing with heart and fight in that Brave series. And if we could do that, you know, and I think we showed some heart and fight in the World Series with the exception of the no hitter game where we just shit the brick on. But every other game we were fighting in that game in those games. But uh, yeah, y'all had y'all had a great run last year. I hope I hope we can see some kind of replication. Man, it's a fun team. I know you've been I know you've been tough on them all year, Cooper. They, they should have won hundred. This team should have won hundred games this year. The way they started out and the talent they had on this team, they shouldn't have started out the way they did. They should have won. They could have won. No one games. saw. No one saw how hot Trey Turner was coming off the WBC. No one saw him shitting the bed the first half of the season. Nobody saw that coming. Well, there was a lot of shit in the including him. Yeah, and we didn't have Harper. I'll give you we didn't have Harper. Uh, and uh, But, you know, last thing I'll say, I don't want to turn it. The guy I think who's been the inspirational leader of the Philly, like this too. I think Kyle Schwarber in that locker room, you can't underestimate him. And the He's other great, guy. Yeah. Great clubhouse guy. And the other guy. And this guy was like a, a guy we picked up from the Angels. And he's become such a is Brandon Marsh. Brandon Marsh is so committed to this team and he motivates everyone. He just does little things. See what he's doing with some of the younger players. He's become one of my favorite players on the Phillies right now. Despite the fact that he has long hair and a beard. I don't care. He can he can have he can have hair down. He could have long hair as Cher has long hair. I had long hair. I don't care at this point. His beard (laughs) could be longer than yours. I he is he has earned his he is a Philly through and through that guy. I, I may actually get a jersey of Marsh. I just want to see how long he's gonna be with the team. I don't want to get one, and then we lose them because we do something stupid. But all right, so let's turn our attention. Uh, we have um, our American history segment, um, and we have a new sponsor now for this segment. It's Vintage Rockefeller Cigar Group, and they're sponsoring our American history segment. And um, inspired by the era known as the age of American enterprise, the creation of each Rockefeller cigar captures a rich American history of men and women who prospered during the time of the Great Depression. Their entrepreneurial spirit made the United States the foremost economy in the 20th century. Their legacy reverberates today with a new generation of entrepreneurs now driven by both the passion to control their own economic destiny and build companies that will impact the world in a positive way. So we've, this is now an American history segment. We kind of transitioned that the last show. And what I always do is I try to tie the American history to something 
that we talked about on this show. And uh, the theme tonight is uh, the year 1933. All right. 1933 was the year the PCA was formed. So they're actually celebrating the 90, 90th year this year. Um, and I'm kind of going to go with a similar thing we did on the last show. I'm going to name four things. Three of them happened in 1933. And one of them didn't bear. And you have to just guess which one didn't happen. The one, there's four, they're all facts. They're all facts. So, yeah, there's no fake thing in there. The only thing is one of them didn't happen in 1933. Okay, so they all did happen. Okay. Got it. So we'll change it up from time to time. Um, But, yeah, there's there's no trick here um, other than let's see if you can get the year. All right. Um, it was funny when I was doing this, I had a couple of other ones, right? And I'm like, the problem is it wasn't American history. I had a, like, oh, these are international histories. So I had to pull a couple of things out at the last minute. But because this okay. is the uh, Rockefeller uh, American history segment. So here are your selections. Charles Lindbergh Jr. is kidnapped. That's the son of Charles Lindbergh. Famous kidnapping. FDR held his first fireside chat. Okay. The original King Kong movie premiered in New York. Okay. And the fourth one is Senator George Mitchell was born. Remember, George Mitchell was being considered for a baseball commissioner job at one point, I remember. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's why I put Tim. But but one of those things did not happen in 1933. What they all did happen. George, Senator who, I'm sorry? George Mitchell. Oh, Maine's own son. Yeah. Maine's own son. Yeah. Yeah. Senator George Mitchell. 1933. Um, okay. So Lindbergh baby kidnapping fireside chat. That's off the table. That was in 1933. That was the first. Yeah. One. That, was, that was too easy. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, one, that one. King Kong. Kong. Yep. And George Mitchell was born. King Kong premiered in 1933 as well. I know that. That's correct. So that's off the table. Lindbergh baby was March 1st, 1932. It's the Lindbergh baby. Correct. Can't can't fool bear. That's a good one, bear. I thought I thought I might get you between one and three. I thought maybe or, or yeah. The senator yeah. one was a good throwaway, man. I, I, I know. It, yeah. Wayne's own son, man. I don't I don't have. If he'd been a president, I would have fucking had his birthday. Right. <laughs> I yep, couldn't yep, remember. Yep. I couldn't. Yeah. I know. The kidnapping was March 1st, 1932. Yeah, you're correct. You're correct, Bear. Wow. This is, Bear has once again conquered the American history segment. And a couple of folks were asking me, are we still going to do, you know, there'll be presidents thrown in with these at times as well. We're not done with presidential trivia either, but but I am trying to tie this with each of our um, themes of the show, so to speak. It's interesting, man. The, the uh, I mean, that seems like a lot. I mean, it's more than a lifetime ago, but, you know, that's how long. You know, we're coming up. I mean, this 90 years, 90 years of PCA, man. Uh, I know they probably can't speak to it because they're busy working their tail off. But I, I hope I hope the PCA does something to celebrate 90. They didn't do anything in the they, summer. They didn't. I think they had a lot on that plate. Um, but next year is the 90th trade show because there was a skip year. Uh, we did confirm that the only time they didn't have a trade show was 2020. So the year of the pandemic was the only time they've ever canceled the PCA trade show. Okay. So this would technically be the 90th trade show. This will be the 90th one coming up. Yeah. Okay. Same. Yeah. 
some great time for some amazing PCA exclusives just to make you happy, Coop. Oh, I didn't beat that. That's a Scott Pierce thing. We, you know, I just want to say one thing. I do want to get Ryan on our show. I think there's a lot to talk about the international community. I think, I think that'd be, be fascinating. Yeah. So I think I, I'm going to reach out to him. We'll get him before the end of the year, I'm sure. But uh, he, I don't think he's done any shows. And I think there's a lot going on. We're getting a lot more attention on Cigar Coop internationally right now, too. So, uh, you know, I think it'll be, uh, you know, good to do that uh, as far as that goes. Now, Bear, you had a couple you had a couple of other things uh, from from you on here. A couple of other years you threw out. Yeah, uh, I, I think I may know. I think I may know both of these. So let me see. I think I may know yeah. both of them. Yeah, just a little general discussion. But these are this is obviously well, it's not American history. One's American history, the other one's international history. So but again, I, I'm not. I'm, I think my answer may affect it. That's why that second one. But let's see. So so uh, so on this date, so September 26th, 1969, this television show premiered. Brady Bunch. You are correct, sir. Because and I, that's that's a nod to you, Coop. Because yeah. I know that was your that was your show until you uh, until the Jeffersons came on. No, Sanford and Son. My dad. My Sanford dad pulled, and Son. Excuse me. My dad pulled the plug on the Brady Bunch. Um, and uh, Sanford and Son. But let me tell you, I am a huge Brady Bunch fan. I love all these Brady Bunch uh, offshoots. Great family show. I grew up with that show. Watching that when I got home, from, I watched it on Friday. But then with the reruns coming home from school. Uh, I still watch reruns on Pluto TV of them. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I knew that the Brady Bunch, the Brady Bunch was the one I had on mind with that. If it wasn't the Brady Bunch, I don't know what I would have answered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I want to comment on my cigar after this next question. So, again, on this date, that's September 26th, 1580. This was a date and exploration. What occurred? Vasco da Gama uh, rounds the Cape of Good Hope. Very close. So in 1580, on September 26th. No, he was earlier. He was 1480. Yeah, he was. was. Um, But it is sailing related. So good for you. Uh, So in September 26th, 1580, uh, Sir Francis Drake, after three years at sea, uh, completes his circum. I should have known that one. You know why? I did a, I did a, I did a, a skit for in, in, in junior high school on, on Sir Francis Drake. I did a whole skit and actually interviewed like an interview. It's like interviewing Sir Francis Drake. <laughs> How about that? And I got an A. I should have known that one. That, yeah. Vasco da Gama was actually four, in the 14th, in the 15th century. This was, yeah, that's a good, so I was, I had the wrong, I had the wrong Cape. Yeah. All right. Good job there. All right. So that was our uh, vintage Rockefeller uh, American history segment here. Oh, good job by both of us here. Um, all right. Let's move into uh, our great things are happening here segment uh, brought to you by Tobacco RSA, makers of iconic branches is Monte Cristo, Romeo Julieta, H. Upman, and Aging Room Cigars. Tobacco RSA, great things are happening here. I just want to mention a couple of housekeeping things regarding that. We're going to have another contest on the web. We're moving the contest to the websites now primarily. So there'll be another contest this week uh, with a giveaway. So stay tuned for that. Uh, we did we did name our winner for the um, for the uh, Monte Cristo gift pack. Um, we are now all the I just got to make a comment on this uh, very clearly. We've had some issues. 
Um, we're always going to put the, on the website, there'll always be a place to, uh, where we post the result. If for some reason we don't confirm an email to you, that means somehow the email didn't get to you. Okay. Um, I can't control that. That's what I'm just telling people. Okay. So if we don't confirm the prize with you, you did not win. But if you, if there's sometimes email issues blocking it, go to the website, make a comment on that saying you didn't get the email from me. And we'll make sure we take care of that. But we did, ha we have had an issue with that. And I have to, you know, I can't control if emails aren't going back and forth sometimes. It's just not out of my control. So, uh, so those two things here. But okay, Bear, I'll let you kick off the great things are happening here segment. Yeah, would you mind pulling up the article? Yes. So, so this is a really cool story. Um, so, um, so, you know, my old my oldest son was born in 2015, and at the time, you know, um, at our church, our the youth pastor at our church, his his wife and him were obviously expecting twins. Um, they were my my oldest was born in July. They were expecting their 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 kids to be born in September, and that was the due date. Uh, as twins sometimes often happen, they were born premature. That's not these kids, by the way, but it just it brought back some really great thoughts. So again, they were due in September. My son was born in July. They were actually born two days later. Okay. So uh, they were obviously born premature. Uh, not this much premature, but they were always born premature. They spent time in the NICU and they're both incredibly well-rounded, well-developed children. And, uh, you know, and, uh, we see them every Sunday. So it's, it's cool. But this brought me back to the, to my great memories of, of that time and specifically. So, um, these twins, uh, Kima and DJ, uh, were born 22 weeks premature. Wow. Um, week 18. And, That's week 18. Yeah, wow. Yeah. They were given less than 10% chance of living, both of them. And this week they went home. And I mean, there's not too much more of the story than that, but uh, um, they were born at 22 weeks, excuse me, not 22 weeks premature, but 22, they were born at 22 weeks. So not much too big, not too much more than 18. So um, they were barely over the halfway point in a pregnancy all. Um, but, uh, they're both, uh, almost one and, uh, the, there's the crack, you know, the amazing staff at, a, at the Cleveland clinic in Ohio, uh, brought them along through intensive care through the NICU. And, uh, now this week they get to go home. That's and, beautiful. Uh, it's just a wonderful story, man. I think it's, it's, you know, survival is one of those funny things, man. It's just, you know we talk sometimes about, you know, there's some, we we've talked about this, even on the good news, what these, the good news network has stories like this. We've talked about it in this particular segment so with good things are happening here. You know, we did it a few weeks ago with the, uh, the guy who was lost at sea, you know, survival is one of those funny things. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of times we attribute it to, to grit and tenacity and, 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 and fortitude. And, you know, we're talking about fully grown, fully developed adults in some, pretty crazy scenarios we've you know we've talked about the story where the pizza delivery guy saw a burning house and whatever possessed him but he, he ran into a burning building to save kids and you know survival is a is an incredible thing and uh, but we forget about we forget about the little ones a lot of times and and you know these 
these children, you know, were born into a world way too soon. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, the the help of some amazing hospital staff, they pulled through. But, you know, survival is a great thing. You know, you don't have to be a fully grown adult to have determination and grit and anything like that. But uh, there they are. Yeah. Kima and DJ. Yeah. Going home. Going home this week. Went home this week. Ten Less than 10% chance of living, Coop. That's wow. insane. Yeah. Um, I don't quite have a story that's, you know, obviously that's an amazing story, but I do have a story about neonatal care that I've never shared this probably on the air. I probably have shared this with people in a long time. Uh, when my son Timmy was born, um, we were getting ready to leave the hospital. Okay. And I literally went down to go get the car because you had to get the, the way that worked is you got the car. And then they discharge they, they discharge you in, in New Jersey. You had to make sure you had the seats and everything like that, right? So I went and did my thing and got the car. Um, and I was basically called back upstairs, and they're like, um, "We're we're gonna keep your this is imagine going through this. We're gonna keep your son for a few more days." Um, they were suspecting meningitis, right? There was an issue with him the way he was breathing. Um, and they wanted they 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 wanted to rule out meningitis. They had to do it. They had to do a, this thing on the spot was a spinal tap. They call it? I forget what they call it, but they had to do a thing, you know, where they go into the spine and, and obviously test for meningitis. Um, he did not have it. Um, but what I will tell you is I came out of that experience. With such an appreciation for the dedication to healthcare professionals who do neonatal care. It is, it is it is something this was a lot more traumatic, obviously, than what we went through. But I could just tell you, uh, I don't think the neonatal care people get get the uh, get the you know, sometimes they get forgotten about. And it's an amazing staff that you deal with with that. And uh, I'm sure they were great with this family as well. So, you know, my hat's off to anyone who's a neonatal care professional here. And my son was 100% fine, and they gave him the best of care and love. And it was it, they were great working with us as well. And he went home about two or three days later. So we went back to the hospital and picked him up. Yeah. Uh, my wife was there almost 24 hours, too. So I had to get back my daughter, get back to my daughter for a couple of days. But yeah. So uh, and he he's uh, never had any health issues after that. So. Well, it's, it's really so, great. I, yeah. you know. You know, we we talk about like your son Timmy and Kima and DJ and everything. You know, it the the toll that that takes on parents. You know, I mean, shoot, my son gets a runny nose and I worry, but the the toll that it must be taken on you in just a short number of days and your wife, obviously, and then for the parents of these two young children, I mean, I can't imagine what that was like. You know, no. and, and they had and, probably a very, you know, obviously a very different neonatal care on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just 18 weeks is you want that premature for premature. Yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful story that yeah, that's wonderful. I can't wait. I'd love to hear the follow up how they're doing. I'm sure they're going to live great lives. So. Yeah. Good job. Good job there. OK, my story is a little different. Uh, I actually did it this day in, in good news today. Uh, 
and it's the 40th anniversary of a of a pretty significant effect uh, of, uh, event that happened in space. Um, and 40 years ago today, the lives of two Soviet cosmonauts, Gennady Strelkov and Vladimir Titov, they were saved in the only use of an emergency shuttle eject system in the history of manned spaceflight. Uh, the mission was on the launch pad when Mission Control detected a serious fuel tank leak in the rockets. A mere 20 seconds before the rockets exploded and obliterated uh, to uh, beyond repair, uh, they were saved 4.5 miles from the site in their space shuttle. So, um, and they suffered no industries. And uh, I, that's an amazing story. I think that gets forgotten about. I do remember when that happened. Uh, you know, say Soviet or whatever, this is human life we're dealing with here. And, uh, you know, space travel sometimes seems glamorous, but there's severe danger. And that's a very severe danger that happened here. Wow. Yeah. So imagine like the launch infrastructure like goes and they have to get, uh, you know, amazing story. Amazing story. Yeah. Absolutely. That happened 40 years ago today. I was in high school when that happened. I know we were talking about that in high school. It was a big deal. Because I had, a, I had a, like a history teacher. He was really into the whole space program and the space shuttles and all that. Yeah. So that's uh, that's how great – that was a great story. They've uh, they've done a lot since then, these guys. So great things – great thing happened on this date. All right. Let's go to our Espinoza This Day in Sports History. And uh, that is sponsored by Espinosa Cigars, makers of award-winning cigars such as Espinosa 601 and Knuckle Sandwich. Smoke Espinosa and smoke Espinosa every day. So, Bear, I think you're going to get this one. This was a little tougher day in history to do, right? But mm -hmm. I think you're going to get this one. So, back in 1920, the Chicago White Sox became the first team with 420 game-winning pitchers. On this day in 1971, a second major league team accomplished this feat. What was that team? 71, it's the Baltimore Orioles. It's the Baltimore Orioles, yep. Yeah, it's, uh, that's uh, Jim Palmer was the last one of the, 20, of the four. Yep, that was going to see if you knew the last pitcher to get so it, yeah. Jim Palmer, and then McNally. Yep. Quaylar. Uh, yep. Mike Quaylar, right? Yep. Oh, shit. Oh, fuck. I used to know this. Oh, shit. Yeah, it's right got, there. You it's got right Quay, there. You got Mike Cuellar. Cuellar. 29. Jim Palmer, Jim. 29. Dave McNally, 21 and 5. This one's a tougher one. But he is a pitcher that's well known. It's right there, Coop. Fuck. Uh, oh, uh, Pat 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 Dobson, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Jesus. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Yep. Nice. Uh, and, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That was a, that was an inc that was an incredible staff, man. Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, you look at that staff. Um, you know, you think about the Braves never did that. The Braves yeah. probably had that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Braves did that with Glavin, Maddox, uh, Smoltz. 
they had, you know, Avery and, you know, when he was at his apex, um, they really didn't have a fifth starter on this team either. No, it was a four man. This is when real, this is when real men pitched. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I think Quayler was actually considered the ace of the staff, which is interesting because you have McNally and Palmer. Yeah. Palmer, Palmer being all the famer, you know? So, I mean, yes. I mean, they didn't even have the, the closer was Eddie Watt and he only had 11 saves that year. That was as dominant a uh, championship team as possible. Yeah, man. I mean, when you, like I said, the era of real men pitching. So, yep. Yeah. And I actually picked this question before today. I had this question last night in the notes, uh, but I think we'd be remiss. We don't mention uh, today. Brooks Robinson passed away at yeah. age 86. Uh, a big part of that team. Uh, you know, he, uh, that was a big part of the year he had. Um, he had um, 20 home runs. Uh, and he uh, 92 RBIs uh, tied for second behind Frank Robinson that year. Uh, and that was just, you know, that, that, that Red Sox, I'm never said, that Orioles team was a great team. Yeah. It was an amazing team. Yeah. 70s, 70s Orioles teams, man. They, they were fucking awesome, man. Those guys were great. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. They, uh, they, that were, you know, they were, they were really a, you know, but they didn't win the World Series that year. Yeah. They go. That was they go. You know, in the in the in the seventies, they lost two World Series to the Pirates, four to three. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I I still to this day find unbelievable. That team did not win the World Series that year. Um, so that was you know it's just a, a great year. They did they did win the that they did want uh they did win the AL East that year. Um, and uh, they had a they had a great you know it was a great year so. But that was the closest thing. That was a dynasty really back before the A's. The, the Orioles were the closest thing to a dynasty there. Uh, do you remember who the second baseman was on the 71 Orioles? Or, or a couple of the second basemen? I could have if you hadn't asked me. Um, Shit. Okay, you want a couple of hints? Yeah, go ahead and give me a hint. All right. One of them became a major league baseball manager. The other one went to the California Angels and had a near MVP season. I'll even give Bullshit. you a hint. The, the manager, the, the guy who was the manager managed five teams. One of them was the Baltimore Oreo. The other one, the Angel one's tough. When I think of Orioles managers, I always think of like, I don't know why my mind always goes to Mike Hargrove, but that's not it. No, Mike Hargrove fully like benched two thing teams, I think. 1970s, 1970s Orioles. 
this manager would win a World Series as well. Oh, it's Davey Johnson, right? Yep. Yep. And the other second baseman, and this one's much tougher. I'll give you this one. Bobby Gritch. Oh, shit. Yeah. Nice. Big in that strike year. He had a huge year. He had a huge year that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He tied for the home run lead with four other guys. Um, but no, yeah, that was, it was, yeah, Bobby Gritch, who I was always a Bobby Gritch guy. I liked him a lot. Mm. All right. So that is our uh, This Day in Sports History segment, sponsored by Espinosa Cigars. Uh, let's, before we're going to get into our last segment, which I'm really excited to do tonight. Because we do, you know, we have the, we're going to go through the Scar Journal Awards. We, we've done this with tobacco business, and I think we've done this with Scar Journal before. Right. So we're we're going to weigh in. This is one of our most fun segments we do. Uh, this is what we do. So let do me we, just ma- do yeah. we need a sponsor break because I need to step yeah, up. Yeah, I'll something. do a sponsor break. Yep. Go ahead. Cool. All right. So I want to mention our friends at Michael's Tobacco. With just over a decade of ownership, Michael's Tobacco has become the premier tobacconist for the Dallas-Fort Worth metro area and cigar patrons the world over. With two convenient locations in Euless, just a quick jaunt from the DFW airport, and Keller, Texas, Michael's Tobacco stands as a beacon for the Texas cigar retailers. Michael's was the very first cigar lounge in the state of Texas to add a full bar to its list of ever-growing accommodations. Proprietor Mike Peacock is a IPC, former IPCR board member and now has made Michael's a family affair by having his son Bob join the ownership force. Together, they have brought a true and blessed mainstay for their respective communities. Whether you're celebrating an anniversary, birthday, home, one, or just a desire to relax, Michael's Tobacco will have the perfect cigar waiting with an exquisite beverage pairing and lively conversation. Visit michaelstobacco.com for more details and a calendar of upcoming events. Michael's Tobacco, not just a cigar shop, but the perfect blend of Texas hospitality and the days of yours. So we're waiting for Bear to come back. Um, Just a couple of programming notes. There is no primetime show on Thursday. Uh, We will be back the following Thursday with episode uh, 284. So stay tuned. We'll we'll be making that announcement in the next day or two, what that show is. Um, The next next special edition show is to be scheduled, but that's going to be probably a mid-October show at this point. So uh, stay tuned for that one. Um, and our, we just, we, we haven't announced the jukebox show, but we will be doing a primetime jukebox show on Monday night. We're going to be doing uh, artists that we know are associated with a definitive record. Um, so what's a, like, we, we're going to pick, David and I are going to pick artists and we are going to, um, this, you know, we're going to basically say what's a single they're most associated with. Maybe not necessarily our favorite song, but something that they're well-known and synonymous with. Um, so we're going to see what our picks are. Uh, so we stay tuned for that on Monday. I know we're going to be covering a lot of Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Um, as you know, Dave uh, is a big Taylor Swift fan. And uh, we've been doing football on that show. And we try to do a little sports on that show as well because people like sports. And Dave, Dave doesn't get a chance to talk sports a lot being in Australia. But he loves following American football. So I'm sure he's going to weigh in on those types of things. So you'll definitely want to tune in for that. Um, what I will mention is we had a big show on Jukebox on Monday. Uh, it was our Blackened and Metallica show where we went through the band Metallica. So uh, that show is up there now on all of our channels. And it's been one of our big hit uh, jukebox shows of the year, Metallica. So uh, definitely check that one out. 
and um, we'll uh, you know we'll have that. But again, um, no no show, no Thursday primetime show. We'll have next week's show announced. Welcome back, Bear. It's good to be back. Yep. It's good to have an empty bladder so I can fill it up again. Thank you. Yeah, I snuck out during the Glenn Loop interview. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, oh, you you just you you missed the uh, the rumble as well. I was skating skating around T twenty one. So no, I had I had the headphones. Still, I actually still have the headphones. I can the headphones reach where I have to go. So it's a long I <laughs> man, I I can't. I dude, I can't get off of it. I just can't. And no, I'm just, no, I'm fucking. I'm fucking terrified of that shit, man. It's no, just so, it's so um, frightening. Yeah, I think they did a great job tonight, both of those guys. So, yes, uh, absolutely, really, absolutely. You know, they're very forthright and honest here. Um, so um. You know, definitely we appreciate those guys and we 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 don't softball the questions with these guys. So and they know it when they come on and they still come on with us. So yeah. um so you know, good job by that. Um, I can't believe Josh taught a class right before he got on. That's crazy. I mean, this this is what I mean. These guys uh, you know, they have been we we ask for help from the PCA, um, they come on. I mean, they yeah. do. We have net this is you know, I know people sometimes want to complain about the PCA and sometimes we do when we see things that aren't right, but, uh, um, I think there's some really good things that they have coming up. So, uh, make no mistake about it, man. Scott Pierce, Ryan, Josh, Glenn, you know, that's the, staff the, the staff, that staff's incredible. Yeah. And I, I really got I think the board, they have, they've had a really strong board and, you know, uh, I'm looking forward to Scott Regina's reign as the president, but I, I'd say the other thing is Greg Zimmerman was the greatest president we've had at the PCA. Um, probably, I mean, his, obviously there's a lot of success under his watch. So I thought Greg was amazing. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've had some other, I mean, I know Craig casted an amazing job too, but Greg is, you know, obviously Greg is, was at a time where he was, you know, the PCA was almost dead, you know, a couple of years ago, people were writing the PCA off and, and that leadership, they climbed back and now no one's talking about the PCA being dead anymore. Yeah, so, John, John Anderson had a tough reign, man. He had a tough, tough reign. He had a tough, tough reign. Tough beat, man. Jesus. I mean, what do you, what do you, I mean, he came in, uh, the whole cigar con thing, and then, yeah. And then uh, COVID. COVID. So, shit. yeah, I mean, yeah, you got to give the guy some, uh, some credit there. Since we're going to be talking about cigars, I wanted to talk about the cigar spoke. So, I had the uh, the uh, Grand Abano 20th anniversary, which you know I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, but I just, yeah. I'm finishing up here in a few, uh, the Quesada Oktoberfest 2023, man. It is fucking fire. i gotta get some of those um i have the i, I know i have an, i have a casada review coming up next week the connecticut's finally getting reviewed but i gotta smoke that 2022 look when they went to the 2021 blend which was the casada october's 10th anniversary blend these new the, the the 2022 and the 2023 based on the 10th anniversary blend and i think that's the best that mexican rapper has been like the secret sauce of that because Oktoberfest. i think it's the best blend they've done of it it's so good, man. There's like this wonderful sweetness to it. It's very rustic. It's got some great yeah. leather notes and oh, it's fucking great. Yeah. I know Ben and I, we actually did a pairing with, with beers and we found it paired very well. Yeah. They seem to do a really good job with that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I agree. That's, you know, and that's, you know, this is a, a limited edition. It's been out for 12, 13 years right now as well. Annual mm-hmm. limit. So it's a staple. I know. So I, I, I'm very excited about, I got to get a 2023 to try. All right, so we're going to get into this is one of our favorite things we do. Uh, you know, there's various awards that publications do. Um, you know, Cigar Aficionado has has their deal. Uh, Tobacco Business, when they were doing stuff, they had their deal. And Cigar Journal does the Cigar Trophy Awards. Um, 
And what we're going to do is we're going to go through all the categories. We're going to tell you who was nominated and who, who won. Um, then we're going to basically evaluate these things. Uh, how are the nominations? Uh, who do we think should have won it, right? Some are more obvious than others. Some of the nominations I scratch my head on. But I have a comment I got to make beforehand there. And look, I think Cigar Journal, I met Reinhold at, at uh, I, he's a great guy, publisher of that publication. But this is not to pick on him because I'll pick on Cigar Aficionado with this as well. They recently did something around this topic, and it's been a topic I've seen thrown out a lot about. Does the cigar, does anyone understand what a cigar brand is? Because the brand awards, does anyone actually understand what a brand is? I was, I was so confused by the categories. I don't think they do. No. And we didn't talk about it, but Cigar Aficionado come up with their best brand list, right? And the problem is this. They interchange a cigar line, a cigar company, and a brand, and they interchange it. And they don't have any criteria for this. Right. So I looked at some of these. I'm like, well, why is this a brand, right? Yeah. And, and Alec Bradley is a brand. The double broadleaf is a cigar. Right. It's that simple. Monte Cristo is a brand. Brand. It is a Cuban brand and there's a Dominican, or no, a non Cuban brand, let's say. Yeah. New right. World. Yeah. Monte Cristo Linea Classica, which we're going to talk about in a second, is not a brand. It's a line under it. That's correct. Right. So I look at brand as something like that. And I look at brand, it's almost like a subsidiary type of thing. It's a group of lines, alike lines in there. Yes. But so I, I don't understand. I don't understand this one at all. Right. No. And we're going to go as we go through some of these. We'll, we'll have I want to keep that thought. In mind, but I, I don't understand why they put these. Why? This is why I and I know a lot of it comes from the self-nomination process, particularly here, because everything's user uh, cons, not user. Everything is crowdsourced with the Scott Trophy Awards. Sure. The nominations are the top five and then the, the top five are voted on again. But I just don't understand it. And, we'll, and that's going to be a prevalent comment as we go through these tonight. Yes. All right. The Cuban, the Cuban one is the closest thing to being correct. They had one wrong. Okay. They yeah, had the one wrong. Exactly. Yeah. The closest okay. thing to being so, right. So let's go. Let's go and bring up the uh, the Cuban uh, for best brand. But so they did this best brand from. So they did Cuba, Honduras, Nicaragua, Dominican Republic, and other, is what they did. Correct. So let's start off with Cuba because this one was was and the nominations were Bolivar, Hoya de Monterey, Monte Cristo Linea Classica, Partagas, and Ramon Ionis. All correct except for the Monte Cristo. Monte Cristo, that's a line. Yeah. It's literally in the fucking name. Yeah. And the winner was Partagas. I don't okay. really have any feeling on this one one way or another because I haven't really smoked a lot of these this year. It's literally the weakest brand in the whole fucking list, Coop. It's literally the weakest line. 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 It's literally the weakest brand in the, all, of all nominees. How can you not have an opinion on this? Well, I haven't smoked the cigars this past year. Or if I had wait, okay, who would you? I, okay. I have a definite one I would have picked on this. Pick one. Hoya de Monterey. Yeah. Yeah, Hoya de Monterey would be the one. And look, Monoyonis is a better cigar. Bolivar is a better cigar. Monte Cristo is a better cigar. Not the Linea. Not the Linea. I, Again, I think they don't know what a brand is. I'm, they I'm don't just, know. I'm, because I'm because just, in this one, was Monte Cristo raw? I mean, because I would say Monte Cristo would probably be in the. Monte Cristo is a big brand by them. 
I just don't understand it anymore. Yeah. 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 But I, I think if I guess all right, if I had to say Hoya de Monterey is the one here. Yeah. This gets more this gets more hilarious with the next category. Just all let's right. go ahead and put that out of yeah, it's that it, it literally gets worse from here. It, just, it literally get, it goes way downhill, and, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna ruffle some feathers on these because they're friends. I know, but it's got to be said. And look, I, I I by the way, I applaud anyone who wins the cigar trophy award. So congratulations. But I'm just kind of right, so best brand from the Dominican Republic. All right, nominations are Davidoff Nicaragua, E.P. Carrillo Encore. Mm-hmm. Fuente Fuente Opus X 20th anniversary, JC Newman Diamond Crown Black Diamond, and Vega Fina 1998. Okay. I see one that's a brand on this whole thing. Yes. David of Nicaragua. Yes. And even that is questionable. That is pretty questionable. That's even questionable because you could say blacklist. But Encore is part of Perez Carrillo, which I think is the brand. Encore is the brand. Yeah. Uh, Fuente Flame Opus X 20th right. anniversary. It's Opus X is the brand. It's the cigar. Sorry. It's a cigar. Sorry, Carlito. It's a cigar. Yeah. It's the yeah. cigar. Yes. Yeah. The, the the Encore is a cigar. The Opus X is a cigar. The black uh, the Diamond Crown Black Diamond is a cigar. The 1998 is a cigar. Right. And Fuente Fuente Opus X 20th anniversary won it. Which, if I had a pick of the five, I'm okay with that one. That's sure. a great line. Yeah. It's a great but cigar. I, it's a great cigar. But, but my question. But we're not is, talking about cigars. I'm no. sorry. This is fun. This is funny. You, come on. Like the, the, this is just. All right. Are we crazy? Like as the audience, are we freaking nuts? No, exactly. So here's the thing. Let's go to like and JC Newman, sponsor of ours. I'm going to close. If they had picked Diamond Crown and left off Black Diamond, I think you, uh, they would have had a lot more votes. Right, because I think you have diamond diamond crown smoker and the black diamond sure. smoker are different. Again, that's a that's closer to a brand. And they're trying to they, spin that one off. I think is a brand too. But I still, but the fact is, as long as it's called under diamond crown, diamond crown is the brand here. I I don't understand what they what like. I don't know. I mean, I know it's hard when you're crowdsourcing this stuff because a consumer an inconsumer may not have that that you know they may not think of that. But I think it's up to them to massage the data afterwards or just simply put the list out and you check the box, you know, and I, I would expect, but like I said, cigar aficionado, they were doing their best selling brands and they had like, they had Padron 64s mixed with Padron. It was, you know, it was just confusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Honduras. Honduras. All right. This is equally, this is Ridic- equally because I will tell you equally nothing- ridiculous. Yeah, I will say maybe. Okay, let's go with them. Nominations are Aladino Corojo Reserva. Cigar. Yeah, line. It's a line. CLE 25th anniversary. It's a line. It's a line. Cuba Aliados original brand. Closest thing to a brand. That's a cigar. If they just. Yeah, but they you have the uh, you have the Ernesto one as well. Mm hmm. Maya Silva's Florida Silva Collection Anniversario Number Twenty. That is a fucking cigar. That is not even. That's not even a line. That's yeah. a cigar. Yeah. Leaf by Oscar Valadares. That's even. That's actually incorrect. It's there is no Leaf by Oscar Valadares. Well, Leaf no, they have. Oscar. Okay, they actually in Europe sell it as that. Just so you know. So it's actually Leaf by Oscar, but in Europe okay. for some reason they Sorry. sell it as Leaf. Yeah, but I know okay. what you're saying. Yeah, and Leaf by Oscar won it. 
that's a, well, I was I was okay with that as a brand. You and I are picking a different cigar coop. Um, no, I'm just saying I was okay as a brand, but you and I know what one we would have picked here. Yeah, the Aladino. The Aladino, hands down. Yeah. It's a cigar of the year on Coop. Uh, it smokes great. Uh, it, was a top, it, was a top, it was a top 10 for me. It was, yep. Yeah, it was top 10 for me. Yep. Of course, my lighter goes out. All right. So, but yeah, I, I don't understand. how. I don't, again, I'm, I'm confused. I wish someone would explain explain that to me. All right, we'll go to Nicaragua. Best brand from Nicaragua. The nominations are AJ Fernandez, New World Dorado, Liga Pravada T52 by Drew Estate, Oliva Serie V, Padron Serie 1926, and Perdomo Abano, uh, which is sold as Perdomo Nicaragua in Europe, bourbon barrel aged. And the winner was Oliva Serie V. 1926 is the closest to being a brand. But yeah, still- I don't know. I, I don't know how you I don't know how exactly you do two lighters around. I don't know how exactly you do Siri V. Well, they I, they're they're obviously specifying, right? It's not it's obviously not Melania. Right. They're not saying Melania, but it doesn't include Melania. Uh, that right. one's a that's a tricky Oliva Siri V is a tricky one. Because the Melanio, the fact that they brand Melanio with the Serie V name, I would think it's under the Serie V brand. You could say Drew Estate Liga Pravada is a brand. Liga but Pravada not T-50, is T-52 is not a brand. Yeah, it's a cigar. It's right. a line. Uh, AJ Fernandez New World Dorado is, is, a, is a line. Mm-hmm. New World is the brand. There's like five different blends in the New World line. Yeah, and Perdomo is a, a line. Perdomo is a line. So Oliva wins. Well, I mean, I'm okay, I'm okay well, with it. It's almost tricky too, because now they're if they're encompassing maybe Connecticut. See, but I don't see. I still think it's like if they cast Connecticut Maduro Sungrown, do you say that's a brand? If you just say Perdomo Habano Bourbon Barrel Age, like yeah, just the no, it's not a brand. It's a, it's a line. But there's three lines. Perdomo is the brand. Perdomo is the brand. I would, I would with these awards bear. I would just do company. It's so much easier if you just do company. Sure. Do company and lines, and it's so much easier. This brand stuff confuses everybody, including them apparently. So yeah. yeah. Uh, I as far as this is fun. I, I'm sorry, dude. This is just funny. This is great. I love this. This is great. This who is would great you pick, Who would you pick from this one? Would you pick to leave a Serie V? It's kind of hard. It's, it's kind of hard not to. I, I don't think know. that would have been the one I picked. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I was okay with that one. Yeah, I mean, nineteen, you know, nineteen. Uh, I mean, the nineteen twenty six is good. I mean, obviously, T fifty two. We, I, I'm a T fifty two guy. Over the, but they just said Liga Pravada. Would that have garnered more votes? Because they do it inconsistently. If you say the brand is is because the V, this V natural V Maduro, right? Mm-hmm. But no, Melania. But if you said Liga Pravada, suddenly now you can bring in the number nine people, the the uh, Unico series, the H ninety nine. You know, th- then that changes the game of that, in my opinion. Where they sure. may have got like, votes, maybe there would have been more votes for those cigars. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's fine. It's fair. I don't understand either how some of these how how some of these this must be a very flat table. Like I think there's not a lot of difference in the, I think this it's probably so flat. The discussion around cigars is going to be so much better because they they actually are cigars, which is nice. That's much better, yeah. So let's kind of finish up the best brand from other. 
Uh, the nominations are, and I have a definite winner with this one. Casa Torrance Siri 1973. That's from Mexico. <laughs> Castagli Daughters of the Wind from Costa Rica. La Regenta Classica from the Canary Islands, which I'm not really familiar with. I got to be honest with you. Toscano Master Age and Vilga do Brazil. I thought this is the closest one they got to brand, except for the first one. Yeah. Which Casa Torrance the brand. There's, there's several in there. And the winner, by the way, was Toscana Master. The right one won. I had Kata 1973. But I don't have a problem with that one winning. That's a great, because Kata 19, that Kata da- is a great cigar. Daughters of the Wind is a great cigar. I like that, but Toscana Master Age wins for me. Again, don't have a real problem with that one. That. Yeah, that's the, again the closest to the brand because they have the Master Age number one, the number two, the number three. Those are the cigars. So I mean, again, it's, it's the closest, but yeah, yeah, man, yeah. Company, they need to change it up to company, man. It's that's just ridiculous. Yep. All right, next one is we're gonna get into best cigars, and this they did a better job with. All right, yeah, because they're all they're all cigars. It's great. All right, the nominees are the Bolivar Bellicosos Finos. This is from Cuba, by the way. Bolvar Bellicosos Finos, Coiba Robusto, Monte Cristo Petit Edmondo, Partigas Serie E number two, and Romeo Julieta Short Churchill, and Partigas wins with the Serie E number two. Once again, the worst cigar out of the bunch. Which would you have picked? I'm a big short Churchill fan, man, uh, but I love the Bellicose Phoenix. That's it, exactly my feeling on that one. Yeah. Love, we're, we're love 100% lockstep. It would have been that Bell. Yeah. But I agree that short Churchill is a good one, too. Uh, I think yeah. that's a, one of the icons. This was really, this was kind of a chalk one. I, I don't know if, the, you know, yeah. this one, you know, it tended, it, these, are tradi- these are all pretty traditional ones in there. Let's go to the Dominican Republic. Okay. All right. I had a big problem with this one. Okay. You who think? Won? Who won? Yeah. Okay. Go All ahead. All right. The nominations are the Arturo Fuente Don Carlos Doble Robusto, Ashton VSG Enchantment, Davidoff Signature Nickel, Nickel Davidoff Signature Number One Limited Edition, EP Carrillo New Wave Divinos, and Saga Short Tales Tomo Two. The weakest one won this one. The Davidoff yes. Signature Number One Limited Edition. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the Lancero. It's yeah, it's my least favorite out of all the skirts. Um, but I mean, they picked they picked the my t- they, my least favorite my least favorite line in EP Carrillo got the got the nod. I like the new wave Davinos, but it, I, I like it. it too. It's just my least favorite. I mean, yeah. I mean, this one was a pretty. This was a very easy one for me. It was the it was the Don Carlos. Yeah, the Don Carlos wins it. The Don it's Carlos it. wins it. Oh, uh, but I close. do I do like the I like four of the five cigars. I like the VSG Enchantment. I like the new wave Davinos, and I love the Saga Short Tale of Tomo Two. But again, I don't think Tomo Two necessarily has the impact of a Don Carlos. I have a. I have very strong opinions about VSG. I'm very much a Vitola snob when it comes to them. Okay. And there, there's a ton of Vitolas, and I like some of them, 
The enchantment is not one of them. I don't know what it is about that size. Was, I like the spellbound. Love the wizard. The wizard's my favorite. The eclipse uh, is good. Well, you know, I think you don't like the enchantment because of the size. The trace mystique. Yeah. No, it is. Yeah. I mean, I like it. Size. I like it. I'll be honest. It's not my favorite size. That's a 60 ring gauge. That is not my favorite size either. But it's kind of like a perfect. It's like a plump perfect. But I love the wizard. I love the wizard. It's a bigger gauge. It's like a fifty-eight. Yeah, I agree. The wizard is a better one. Yeah. And by the way, we do have uh, Andy Green booked on primetime next month from Ashton. So Ashton will be making a primetime debut on the Thursday show in October. And Andy's a great. We've met Andy. He's a great guy. Ready to go to Honduras? Let's go. This is funny. All Tell right. me about it. All right. The nominations are the CLE 25th anniversary 54 by 6, Florida Silver number 20 Ch- Churchill, Oscar Valadares McFly Churchill, Placencia Coseca 1940, uh, Placencia Coseca 149 La Vega, and Rocky Patel, the it's 20th anniversary. They got this one right. The Placencia Coseca 141 La Vega wins. Yes. They got this one right. Thousand percent. I, I, I just I just reviewed the Edge 20s today, by the way. It did not do well. It was a disappointment. Uh, the, Mc, the McFly is literally the weakest cigar that Oscar's ever done. I, that's what I was going to say. The Edge is probably Rocky's weakest cigar in the last five to ten years, in my opinion. Um, The Florida t- Silver number 20 is not... That's the Habano blend they introduced. It never wowed me. Oh, it get they get the Florida dude. Florida Silva gets a little the 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 Florida Silva love on this list on the these awards gets gets worse. Florida Silva is a, mo- a monster in Europe. You got it is, and it's yeah. a great cigar. But just just wait, just wait. Just, yeah, the, uh, yeah, just wait. The uh, Gabe Kapler expression. Yeah, um, but I think they got this one right. I, I am not a huge fan of the CLE. By the way, twenty fifth. Uh, just just to me. I'd rather have an Aroa 20 as sort of Aroa any day. Okay. All right. But I know, all right. So now we're going to best cigar of Nicaragua. And this was probably the most publicized award this year of who won, basically. Mm-hmm. And the nominations were the AJ Fernandez New World Dorado Toro, the Hoya de Nicaragua Numero Uno Le Ambassador, Oliva Serie O Double Toro, okay. Perdomo Double H 12 year vintage Maduro Robusto. And the Villager 1888 Nicaragua Robusto. And the winner was Perdomo. And I had no issue with this one. It's definitely the best of the five cigars in my book. Uh, I love, I love that Maduro. Yeah, I love that Maduro. I see. I, I, I'm i in the Connecticut 12 year age. So I'm great cigar show. Great cigar show. I mean, I was on the I, list though. So, yep. But uh, if you didn't have Perdomo, who would you have had? Hoy to Nicaragua. Love that was probably the other one, but I, I I definitely like the the vintage Maduro better. Yeah, it's between those two for me. Yeah, um, I, I don't know how. So let me ask it. you this. Let me ask you this. Least favorite I'll leave a line, the O, or the Connecticut Reserve. The O. Yes. Yeah. Thousand percent. Yeah. You remember yeah. what the O was like back in the day, man? With the fucking satin ribbons and shit. Yeah, like, yeah. That was. Yeah. Like, they were phenomenal. Yeah. I like that Connecticut Reserve, by the way. I think it's not a bad I cigar. Don't. I don't yeah, like it. I like it. It's not. It's not like my favorite Oliva, but it's 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 definitely better than the O. Like I, yeah. I don't even like if I get an O, I'm just yeah, I get it and no. I give it away. Yeah, the O's not good. 
But let me tell you, those double those double age twelve year vintage is is one of Perdomo's gems. And I tend, I, to like, I agree, I agree. I just the Maduro is my least favorite of the three offerings. I tend to go towards Perdomo Maduros in a lot of these. Lines. I know, I know yeah. you do. So yeah, yeah. but good win. Yeah, Villager shouldn't be on this list. Yeah, real good. That, I haven't had that cigar the eighteen eighty eight Nicaragua yet. But uh, I haven't. It has. I haven't seen people like doing handstands for that cigar to be one of the top five cigars out of Nicaragua, right? That that just doesn't make sense to me. Like I don't see anyone talking about that cigar. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All this right. one. Now this one's another one. This is the best cigar from other countries. All right. Nami's are Casa 1910 Cuchillo Parado from Mexico. The American Churchill from the U.S., Toscano Master Age Serie One from Italy, Vegas de Santiago D8 Robusto from Costa Rica, and Vilga de Brazil Robusto from Brazil. And the winner, winner, winner was Casa 1910 Cuchero Parado, which sorry, I love those guys. That was not. That's not. That's not a good. That's not a great cigar. It's not no. bad. It's not. No, they have other cigars that are much better. Yeah, the American uh, win. The American. The American wins it. The American wins it. I, I'll, I'll give an honorable mention that Toscano Master Age series. Yeah. Uh, that number one was series pretty one is freaking. But great. there's no, there's no doubt. American Toro was my cigar of the year, but probably my second favorite size is the Churchill. See, I'm a Churchill guy. It's a great uh, cigar. It's a great cigar. It's yeah. a great cigar. I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue with that. But uh, that one, I mean, I, I. I know those guys. I love the Casa 1910 guys. Great supporters. I'm sorry that one. They, they've come out with better cigars than that. So, um, okay. We are going to another category. And this, I had a real issue with one of the cigars in this next category being nominated. Best value from the Dominican Republic 2023. I don't know how they define value. I guess it's what you, most bang for your buck, right? This was probably the one that just threw me for a loop, okay? The nominations are Cusano Bundle Selection, okay? Caffey Siri L Natural, which is, he moved his production to the Dominican Republic. La Aurora, 19, La Aurora 107 Nicaragua. Matilde Oscura. In La Galera, Connecticut. And the winner was La Aurora 107, Nicaragua. So you know which one I had the problem with in here, right? Uh, the... Well, I... Is the cafe officially moved over to La Aurora at this point? Yeah. Yeah, the, okay. this was the cafe one. The Serial was the one. I have not had the cafe one yet, but from one of... Okay, I actually... I don't remember what that's priced at. So I thought it was a more premium line, that one. Yeah. Uh, Matilda Oscuro is not a value cigar. That was the one I said. I don't know how you put that in with a Cusano. Yeah. Um, and I think, it's, I, just, I think it's the best cigar on this list. The La Galera is so, the second so part. The, the Caffey's a 1050 MSRP cigar. How does that make this list? 
Again, no, no disrespect to that cigar. You know, the Matilda. I think the Matilda Oscura is like about a ten, a ten dollars. And these are, by the way, lines that they did at least. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have given it in this case to La Galera. Yeah, I think La Galera is the best. I mean, if we're going by authentic definition, and yes, mm-hmm. I mean, best cigar in this list, I think, is the Matilda. That's just me. Hands person. down, it's the Matilda. Uh, but I had a problem. I think that the Caffey and the Matilde don't belong here. And maybe the Wild Roar 107 didn't belong there. It's like a $7 score. Yeah. And if you're going to say value, just say it's got to be under $10. Maybe that's just the way you do it. And then I'm okay with it. Yeah. But, you know, I don't, I, again, this one doesn't make any sense to me um, at all. Uh, La Galera to me is the best value of that one. All right. All right. So we are going on to. Uh, best value Honduras. from Honduras. Okay. And the nominations are Alec Bradley Max, Cuba Aliados Original Blend. It's a $10 scar. Yep. Confidential, which is an Eric Pierce brand. I don't know. I haven't had it. Called Confidential. It's made by Eric Pierce, who's kind of a guy well known in the international market. Rocky Patel Vintage 1990. Ten dollars cigar, yeah. and Villa Zamorano, which is a value price cigar, by the way. It is. Yep. It's also the weakest Maya Silva product, but that's fine. It, but yeah, um, I don't know how I would have voted in this one, but I would not have voted for the winner, Rocky Patel Vintage, nineteen ninety. That's a premium that's cigar. That's a more premium cigar. So is Cuba Aliados. Yeah, so is Cuba and Max. Maybe Max, but again, I don't know what they mean by value. It's the problem. Again, no criteria. That's the problem. Yep. All right, let's go to best value. They they, didn't, they only did uh, the Honduras, Nicaragua, and the DR with these value ones. So, the nominees of best value in Nicaragua are Aaron Nielsen's favorite, the Brickhouse Classic. That's a value brand. That's a value brand. Hoya de Nicaragua. Yeah, Hoya de Nicaragua Classico Original. It's in the same vein. Yeah, Perdomo Menso Seventy, which is well priced. It is a well priced cigar. Mm-hmm. Under ten dollars, but this is the next one. Just absolutely, I didn't make it. AJ Fernandez Puro Especial, which I, I'm assuming they mean the New World Puro Especial. That's a more premium New World. Yeah, that's a ten dollars cigar. That's over ten dollars. And Padron Classic. That's barely. That's under ten, but barely. Yeah. And here's why I had a problem with a Menso Seventy. That's a that's there's three blends in that line. Right. So and I don't know. I think and, they're at 10 too, aren't they? They're at 10. They're not under 10. They're not. Oh, uh, they actually are under 10 with that one. Uh, let me look that one up real quick. Uh, that's a very well priced cigar for what you get. I'm pretty sure. Uh, let me pull that one up for a second. Oh, uh, that is. They yeah they're they're like eight they're like, they're in the seven to eight dollar range. I'll give Perdomo Amenso a value in that one. Those are big cigars with a lot of tobacco, but they're marketed more as a premium cigar still. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So in this case, I didn't have a problem with the Hoya de Nicaragua Classical winning. 
which is what one. This next category gets fun. All right. Oh, all right. I don't know why they have this one categories, right? <laughs> Best boutique brands. All right. Did they consult with uh, Boston Jimmy? All right. I don't get this one. All right. But all right. Nominations are Atabay, Brundel Ray Premium, Castagli Villa Castagli, Lampert Ocean Breeze. And Vegas to Santiago D8. I've had the Brundelays, by the way. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, they picked on Costa. They decided to give Costa Rica a full category here. <laughs> and the winner was Castagli Villa Castagli. It's out of bay, like by a fucking 10 this miles is not even up close. the Andes. This is not even close. I don't understand. Look, look, I've been getting into the Lampert cigars quite a bit. I don't understand. I like his dog and I like Lampert. That's I like fine. that's a it's, that's a weekend cigar. It's out of bay. It's not even close. This oh god. It's not even close with this one. Adabe is a cigar that literally some of the most like critical like people I know in this industry, that's their favorite cigar. And it it's is a, fucking immaculate. And it doesn't, it doesn't none of these cigars hold a fucking candle. To Atabay. Yeah. I know, I know, um, I know I, I think I didn't I don't have a problem with what they got as, as boutique here, by the way. I was okay with all five of these being boutique. The only one sure. I haven't had is actually the Villa Castagli. I've had which one? I had that Vegas to San Diego D8. Um, it's very good. It's not an Atabay. What are we talking it's about? It's not Atabay. No. The Brundo Ray's got some great lines. Um, I wish we'd see them in the US. I reviewed a few Brundo Ray's about 10 years ago. They're good cigars out of Costa Rica. It's not at there's nothing that comes close. I've heard people basically, you know, not just like Dave Garofalo, but people just everyone's had that cigar. It's a great cigar. It's great. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now we're gonna go to best boutique brand from the Dominican Republic. And I know you're gonna have a problem with this category. Yeah, you um, think? Yeah. The nominations were Artista Buffalo 10, Caffey 1901 Serie L, Principe, Principe, Prince, Principe Aviator. Principal. It's just principal. principal. Is this a principal? Oh, yeah, okay. Valentino Siesto and Castagli Traditional. Now, I did not have a problem with this cigar winning. It's a very good cigar. It's a very good cigar, but I know I would agree with you on what should have won here. I know what you pick. I, I agree. Yeah. Buffalo 10, baby. Yeah, yeah. Buffalo. Where, where was Buffalo 10 on the value list? Oh, shit. Like, where is that? That belonged on a value list one. It should have been the. Yeah, it's the. George Brightman sings the pay. Yes. Oh, God. So All bad. right. Let's go to best boutique. I actually think they did. By the way, I think they did a good job with what they defined as boutique here. I, I had no problems with with these, but it was some of the selections were questionable. So for best boutique brand from Honduras, and this one just scratched my head. One, mm-hmm. Aladino Corojo Reserva, K 
Cavalier Geneve White Series. Confidential again, which I haven't smoked that. Oscar Valadares, the Oscar, and Villa Zamorano Reserver Collection. Tell us who won. Villa, Villa Zamorano Reserver Collection. Literally the worst cigar on this list. I, now, I haven't had Confidential, so I'm going to take that up. I have. Here. I have. It's literally the worst cigar on this list. I got to try this. I actually want to really try it. To me, I would have picked, I got, you know, we would have picked Aladino, right? But White Series and, and the Oscar are good, are much better cigars. Yes. Give those around the uh, you want to give them the the value one. I'm fine with that. That was sure, yeah. how does that one beat? Be I'm sorry. Carl Reserve is number one winner out of this group. Cavalier Geneva is a is a is a second. Okay. Place. Yep. I'm in agreement 100 percent with that order. Corolla Reserve and I love team. the and I love the Oscar too. But like, geez, Oscar, dude. I I do too. But I would say probably the worst one won. Mm-hmm. All right. This we have two more categories to go, and then we have a couple like just general awards. All right, this one was the absolute head scratcher too. And the nominees for best boutique brand in Nicaragua were fifteen oh two Ruby, Black Label Trading Company Royalty, Compay, which is uh, Maya Silva, Horatio Classic, which I haven't had. And K by Karen Berger, Cameroon. Now, I'm curious on your reaction with this one. Tell me. Black Label Trading Company Royalty. To me, that's no. That cigar has no buzz. How did that one win? Because people, I think, I think what happened with this one is somehow it got through the nomination in the top five, and people voted for Black Label. I think they voted for the company more than the brand because. Royalty is a nice cigar. Is it? I wouldn't even put it in the top ten of James's stuff. You know, so I think people are voting for the for that one right now. Um, but I would have picked. What would you have picked? You're gonna laugh at me. Which one I would have picked on this one? I uh, I mean, look, I love James. We've talked about it. we talked about this the last time we were talking. This yeah. is the last time we were talking. I love James Brown's cigars. I love Black Label Trading Company. I'm I'm. If you made if you made me choose, I would choose most. I would choose Black Works over Black Label stuff. Agree. Um, um, the royalty is probably by far my least favorite Black Label cigar. It, it is. It's a Coro. It's a it's a Corojo blend. Um, it's I agree. It's, it's good. A- I I would just rather smoke anything else he makes. And that's, that's not a I- knock on it. It's not a terrible cigar. It's just it's literally my least favorite. Maybe the Benedictions, the other one I didn't really like, but yeah. I mean, I just, I think people, I don't know how that one made the top five, but I think the votes went for James Brown with them. I would have given it to Compay, actually. That's a really good cigar. I've enjoyed those Compay. Compay's good. The K by Cameron Burger Cameroon is really good. It's okay. It's not, I would have given it over. I probably wouldn't have a problem with that one either. And 1502 Ruby's a great cigar, too. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Okay. All right. Now, did Bic Lighters win again, Coop? No, Bic Lighters wasn't nominated, but Bic Lighters oh. was a tobacco, wasn't Bic Lighters a tobacco business one. It was. I'm just fucking. Okay. Yes, was. So we're going to best accessory, right? So um, this is this was one I. All right. I wasn't familiar with all these accessories beforehand, right? I went and looked them up afterwards. Um, 
So the first thing is the Hank C pick. Uh, the second is the Lefine Lambs punch bracelet, which I actually got one of those at Pro Cigar. Okay. Uh, the Smoking Moses razor cut. The ST DuPont Slim 7 lighter. And the Totem Feathered Serpent Ashtray. Now, I'm not familiar with two of these, the C-Pick and the Razor Cup. But the Totem Feathered Serpent Ashtray wins this one. It's cool. Have you seen it? Yeah. They literally, the they, they picked the worst product on the Lays on Flames. Um, the cutters, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Um, so, uh, yeah. The ashtray is pretty cool. It's got, you know. I think it's cool. My favorite accessory on this list is the ST DuPont Slim. I love that lighter. To me, yeah. But I, the, the one thing why I don't think it won is the price, probably. Of course. Uh, I'm trying to see where I have a picture of that total ashtray. It is cool. It's cool. It's good looking. They're not cheap, those ash. I don't think that's cheap either. Yeah. All right. Let me see if I can pull it up. Um, they are they are worth seeing this one. I haven't seen them in the U.S. I gotta be completely honest with you. But there it is. There's the feathered serpent. Um, hundred twenty-five dollars U.S. Okay. We I still take a Fuente ashtray over it. Yeah. Or per, I just got the Perdomo new Perdomo ashtray. It's beautiful. But uh, that's that's that one. All right. So we are. All right. So these are just. Uh, I want to just go through these. Um, there's one I had a problem with of these actually. Okay, so first, let me. I'll tell you which one I had the problem with. Charity and Community Award went to Tobacco Alberto Turrent. I, I don't know what their charitable thing is with that, so I can't really comment one way or another. Are you familiar with any of the charitable things that they're doing? Uh, not really. Uh, no. Okay. Uh, the um, the next one is best art. Um, Not familiar with this either. Um, they sell cigar band art. Half wheel actually covered them at the trade show, by the way. Um, so uh, basically, it's uh, Robert Glick of Art du Fumar who uh, who basically does artwork. Um, they're like I've seen he does like sculptures and some cigar accessories. Um, I was surprised that one, but I think that was a selection by Cigar Journal. I don't think this was crowdsourced. This one was the one I had a problem with. I'm going to get into trouble here. The ambassador for 2023 was Marvin Samuel for I Mordecai. You have a problem because he's not in the industry? Uh, yeah, I had a problem he wasn't in the industry. He's not in it right now. If he was in the industry, I would make a case for it. This story is such a great story for the industry, though, Coop. I'm sorry, man. I... I, I see what you're saying, man. Like, I mean, but like, okay. I, 
let's let let the reputation proceed here a little bit about right. this. They really don't have any criteria for these for these categories. No, these these I think are selected by Cigar Journal. I understand that they literally don't have criteria for these for these awards. No, they, this is a. Uh, uh, I, but have you seen have you seen the film? Uh, yes. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. I think it's great. I love the film. I love the. But how did Marvin? Was there anything in that film that promoted cigars? Okay, and promoted the industry. I mean, not to the extent of. Not to the extent of like hand rolled or anything, if that's what you're asking. There was such an obvious winner with this one that they didn't give it to him. You know who I'm thinking about. This was who there's someone who hands down wins the ambassador award this year in the last year by a landslide over Marvin. You know this guy very well. And he's done a lot for cigars. We'll say it. Fieri. Guy yeah. Fieri should have gotten this one. Thousand percent. Thousand percent over Marvin. Again, I'm not knocking Marvin. Uh, I actually want to interview Marvin at some point. I, I liked the movie. I thought I really related to the movie, but it wasn't like Marvin did anything to promote the industry with this one. Look what Guy did. It was hands down Guy. I, I that one I don't that one just scratched my head on that one. You know, a few years ago they gave this award to Cigar Authority. Then they gave it to Cigar Sense, right? I think the, they did a lot of good ambassador types of things. Cigar Sense did a lot in in, in Europe, but but this one just didn't make sense to me. I to me, when guy with the year that guy had in the last year, how do you not give it to him? I mean, it's just that was my thing. I was surprised. This was a surprise one with me. Yeah. And the final category, lifetime achievement award. I had no issues with this one. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, Eric and Bobby Newman. That, I had no issue with that. Was it? Absolutely, they earned it. Absolutely deserving. Uh, you know, that's one. You know, every year someone different. You know, people haven't gotten it, so it's going to be a different person yeah. every year. I, they I, got, I well, they, they, got it right. they got it right. They've done a great job. Well, and they I, got it right. They got it right over the fact that you know I'm not knocking Eric Newman's selection to the Cigar Aficionado Hall of Fame. I'm not arguing that at all. But. How do you take Eric over Bobby? Or how do yeah, you take, I, I mean, that's a, how that do you take Bobby the, over Eric? Right, they're kind of joined. They're kind of like the Bobs. I mean, you know, they're brothers. They're joined at the hip. You, you can't take one without the other. Yeah. Right. But, so, so, so this yeah. is good. This is good that they both got recognized. Yeah, I, I think I had no issue with that one. It was uh, long. Uh, probably they waited a long time for that one. So, uh, good job. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who's the list of the winners with that. I'd love to see who hasn't won it yet. Uh, I know Julio Aroa got it a couple of years ago, and he was probably long overdue for that recognition. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah. Uh, but those are the Cigar Journal Awards for 2023. I have one other comment before we close this out. Cigar Journal had no place where they listed the nominees. Like, they originally the nominees were, well, I should say, on their website, they had no place where the nominees were listed. They were originally in the, in the, uh, Survey Monkey poll, but when the awards were over, I couldn't find who the nominees were. I literally had to go to their Instagram account, and they had graphics. Like you got to put who was nominated. You got to have somewhere on your website who was nominated. You know, what I mean, it's just that's a big miss by them. You know, that needs to be on their website in in you know, from a perpetuity going for perpetuity. 
that's the word perpetuity. Yeah, I can't yeah, say in perpetuity. It. In perpetuity. Perpet- yeah, it needs to be out there. So, uh, but um, you know, just to close this one out there, I I have been hearing talk that the PCA may be doing awards at some point. I didn't know if this was necessarily a Glenn Josh question. I think an award thing by the PCA would be a great idea. But I also think it needs to be. I would not open it up to the to the, you know, I, I think the PCA. I would know. I mean, I think what I'm saying is it should be voted on by PCA. The nominees PCA should be doing the homework on that one. You know, now they're covering, they're doing press releases. They know what's coming out in the last year. I think it would be great to see the PCA do awards like this. I know it will open up Pandora's box, but I still think it would be, it would, it would, you have an, an award ceremony at PCA. I think it would be a home run. And by the way, I don't know if you noticed, Bear, these awards used to be given out at PCA. They were moved to Inner Tobacco about like seven or eight years ago. Hmm. Maybe a little longer than that, but but this used to be an award ceremony they did at PCA, but then it was moved to Inner Tobacco, which I think makes more sense. That's where Cigar Journal is based, but yeah. So that's all I got. Yeah, some confusing categories, some confusing winners, some good winners. Some good winners, yeah, and uh you know, I, like I said, I, I if the, the the three things I take away from this, uh, one, please please come up, like get rid of the brand category, just go to company, right? Um, the second thing is I would still not crowdsource the nominations, but certainly I have no problem if you want to crowdsource who wins, is the second thing, and then the third thing is, um. What I would do is I think they just need to be a little more consistent. If you're going to use a brand category, kind of relates to the first, they got to just do a little homework on that. So, and that's why I would say have a checklist. So you don't assume people like don't assume a brand is what a brand, you know, like someone's dev. We did a whole show on uh, on, on primetime uh, about what's, what's a brand and what's not. Cause I, I beat the dojo guys up on this pretty hard a few, uh, about a year ago. Like they were doing brands. I'm like, that's not a brand. Yeah, that's a company. Yeah. Or that's a line. Yeah. So. All right, Bear. Anything else before we close out this long show? No, I'm good. All right. Uh, I want to thank again, Glenn and Josh uh, and our audience who held, held in there. Um, just one comment before we go. Jay gave us a Coyo Classico is like 1450. So if that's the case, um, that's probably should have won that. But. You know, again, thanks to Glenn and Josh. Thanks to our audience who's tuned in. Bear, thank you as well. I know you had a very busy day. It's not taken for granted at all. So it's on that. Uh, and then we I, will. Ha- I had perfect timing, Coop. It, it, it's perfect. Yeah, we can't, we can't be well, mad about it. Well, I mean, you were you were you were rushing by the seat of your pants to your own admission. So yes, uh, yeah. So we do we do appreciate that. And I had a great visit with Bear, by the way, uh, last week as well. So it's great that to see you. A lot of fun. I know you 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 made a lot of sacrifices. Uh, and that's, you know, we don't get to see each other that much. So, so thanks again to everybody. Uh, again, I, I went through the programming stuff, so stay tuned on social media. We'll announce what episode 148 is. I will tell everyone 149 is the election show. So we'll be doing the annual election show and then 150 will announce once we have that confirmed. That will be in November, the big 150 show. So, so stay tuned on that. 
But that's going to wrap up primetime special edition 147 is the annals of history for this Tuesday, September 26th. Now, Wednesday, September 27th in the Eastern and Central time zones. Uh, we just went under four hours this week, so uh, almost hit that mark. But thanks again, everybody. Catch you soon. We'll see you next time.